2: Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
3: It's Jeremy White. If you're making chicken cacciatore, you don't need cantaloupe. And Joe DiBiase. You don't need it. But you could have it. You make chicken cacciatore, you swap out all the pieces of chicken for little pieces of cantaloupe.
4: Your specials have now become not very special. You have to do a great job of shaping the cantaloupe to make it look like chicken. That's not that hard to do. What, What is that? What is that?
3: People are looking at their chicken catch tortoise to decide if there's a candle <laughs> in there.
5: Maybe they are now. I'm done. Standing here with a bunch of idiots. Good luck, superstars. All sports, all the
6: time. And apparently a little food talk, too, on WGR Sports
4: Radio 550. All right, good morning. It's a Wednesday in between the... Conference championship games the Super Bowl which is a little bit over a week away I feel like the weather is starting to turn a little bit it's gonna be warmer Or it's not ice cold at least we're not well it's gonna get colder this weekend colder this little, weekend and then I think it warms bit. back up maybe the the week after so we're we're still in uh we're still in winter this is this is the gross season for uh for everybody falls the elite season this is the complete polar opposite um no uh emphasis may be on polar for, for this winter. Anyways, Jody Biassi, Jeremy White off today. 8030550 is the phone number. A lot of stuff to get to, including Bobby Babich becoming the Bills defensive coordinator, which is top of mind. I've got a lot of thoughts on Ben Johnson staying in Detroit and just revisiting the way the Lions season ended because Dan Campbell's going to be a subject of conversation for a lot of the offseason for football fans and his bright young offensive coordinator just said no to the Washington Commanders. A new owner and a new organization new logo, new everything that's trying to change their brand and you'd think they were still the Washington you know what's with Dan Snyder as the owner. Like young coordinator, hot shot. He's like, nah, I'd rather just stay here in Detroit, by the way. And I'll keep calling plays for Dan Campbell. I'll, I'll, I'll mention why, though, I I respect that from Ben Johnson in a big way. Some Sabre stuff to get to as well. There's a trade idea that's floating out there that makes too much sense, I think, for the Sabres. Sal Capaccio will join at 8 o'clock, so we'll talk more about Bobby Babbage with Sal, but... I don't know how much I want to care about Babich being promoted to defensive coordinator. I don't want to not care at all. But there's only so much value, I think, you can think that adds to the team when I might want to guess he's not going to call plays. I don't know that. And... Sean McDermott has not said that. I thought it went pretty well for McDermott calling plays without Leslie Frazier this year. I thought that they were better in terms of mixing up coverages, being more aggressive in certain situations. As we look back on the season, I think I can only count anymore their thousands of defensive play calls that they had over the course of the year. And this is just me trying to remember off the top of my head. So I'm sure there's going to be, you know, other examples, but what are the two that come to mind for? Oh, that was a bad play call by McDermott. Because there were a bunch by Dorsey, right? We can look back and find a bunch for Ken Dorsey, and maybe you can even find some from Joe Brady. What were the bad play calls on the season by Sean McDermott? There's going to be two that you think of. One is overtime against Philadelphia. Where the Eagles basically said, no, not even basically, they said after the game, we couldn't believe the Bills gave us that look. Whatever look the Bills were in, the Eagles knew before the snap they were going to score a touchdown because all Jalen Hurts had to do was run off his left tackle and Micah Hyde because of the play call the Bills were in, was going to run to the other side of the field to cover somebody, and there would be open space for Jalen Hurts to score. The Bills maybe were going to lose that game anyway. It was getting down the stretch to where the Eagles seemed like they were about to score no matter what. The other one that is the most egregious one is Denver. Denver. I mean, not even 12 men on the field. Before that, the Bills dialed up a blitz... On third down, they got the sack, pushed Denver into fourth and long, and then decided to go all-out blitz again, and Russell Wilson threw the ball up in the air. The rest is history. Those were not great play calls. But otherwise, I feel like McDermott did a pretty solid job. They had a tough stretch in the middle of the year. I can't believe they gave up 29 points to New England and Mac Jones even to this day. It's one of the most stunning things that happened all year. Maybe even more than them getting to 6-6, six and six, more than you know, losing to Zach Wilson's Jets. Letting that Mac Jones offense... How many more games did Mac Jones play after that? To let them score 29, including marching down the field in the final minute of the game to score a go-ahead touchdown with less than 20 seconds to go... That's an embarrassing, embarrassing event for that defense. But they really started off strong, completely limiting Miami early in the season, right after they had scored 70 points, and they really got hot late in the year. And I think they did a great job at figuring out how to overcome the injuries that they had. Daquan Jones missing time, Matt Milano being out for months at that point, Tredavious White being out, and Taylor Rapp was in and out of the lineup, and he was somebody that was on the field, even though he wasn't officially a starter late in the season. You know, you had some injuries on the defensive line. I mean, other than Daquan Jones... Von Miller even though he d- didn't miss games after coming back is the one, right? Like they had to overcome him giving them nothing all year long. And they eventually got there. They they fought their way back from what was a top 5 defense at the beginning of the year was maybe a bottom 5 defense in the middle of the year and then returned to top form late in the season. Until Kansas City where they just, I guess, ran out of bodies. I have criticism about the bodies that they put in there. And that Dorian Williams wasn't out there. And that after some point realizing Rasul Douglas couldn't really run in the Kansas City game. Maybe time to put your super athletic, you know, boomer bus corner and Kyrie Elam out there. Because you're just getting picked apart anyway. So what's the difference? Maybe he gives you a pick. I think there were things they could have done in the Kansas City game. But, Island McDermott did a good job. That doesn't have to be the determining factor, though, on the decision. It's going to be up to him and whether or not he thinks he can manage that workload, whether or not he found that to be an enjoyable experience, a stressful situation. Did he not think he had his eye on the rest of the coaching staff and the players as much when he was more worried about game planning and focused on play-calling duties? If he answers yes to that, I mean, that's where I might guess it's gonna land that he thinks, oh, I can do this. I'm good. That was proof. We got a lot of injuries. We did a good job overcoming that. I liked calling plays. We're gonna keep going. But we'll see. It's also possible that they McDermott would have been on the fence about calling plays and Bobby Babbage would have needed play calling duties to stay. It's possible Especially when one of the teams that was looking directly at Babbage was a division rival. The division rival at this point in time. The Dolphins, who's to say they would have hired Babbage? But they've interviewed a couple of candidates, and I saw maybe even Marcel Louis-Jacques, among others, writing about that idea in Miami. He's like, this is the guy you want. Brandon Staley... The stink on Brandon Staley right now. Nobody is a fan of that idea for any team. And the Dolphins were looking at him for defensive coordinator. Leslie Frazier, respected defensive coordinator, longtime coach in the league, of course spent many years here, so he knows Josh Allen, he knows McDermott, he knows the Bills. And that could be appealing to Miami. But Leslie Frazier is so... You know, just line up and play. There's not a lot of dialing up a game plan, you know, for that specific opponent. It's been said about those Leslie Frazier defenses by other players, by people that study the tape, that they kind of just, they do what they do great, but they do what they do. You know what they're going to look like. Walking in to play a Leslie Frazier defense, you kind of know what they're going to look like. And... See a lot of pessimism that if he became the Dolphins general manager, it would be interesting. It'd be a super interesting story, but that you wouldn't be that worried about it. You would you would think you would still think the Bills are gonna dominate that matchup every time, no matter what they look like on offense. And other names that are out there are not really big names. Like those are the two guys right now that the Dolphins are looking at. The other one was Bobby Babbage. Bill's linebacker's coach before that, defensive back's coach that worked with the safeties. So he's got his hands in the pot when it comes to what they've developed in terms of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer ascending in this defense from where they were on their previous teams. And you could look at what Terrell Bernard became from a rookie last year to starting at Mike Linebacker this year and it going about as well as anybody could possibly imagine. You have Tyrell Dodson, who, I mean, pro football focus, had him as the third best linebacker in football this year. I don't think he was that good, but he certainly was good. And it got better and better as the season went on. I mean, Babich is his positional coach. And Dodson, by the way, yesterday on social media was like, thrilled to see that he was going to stick around and be the guy that gets the D.C. job. Who else? I mean, Milano. Milano, his entire development has come while Babich has been on staff. He's only worked with him as linebackers coach for a couple of the years. It wasn't at the beginning. But linebacker-wise, they've done a pretty nice job at at drafting and developing at this point in time. So... 40 years old, good track record as a positional coach, and an unknown commodity when it comes to what his defense would look like, where I don't want to see Miami get a guy like that. I don't want to see Miami get dangerous on defense with the right man in charge when the Bills have control over the situation. And they exercised that control. The control just... Maybe frankly being that he was already in the building. And you really would have had to mess it up to lose him, or he would have had to make certain demands that you weren't willing to meet. And those are things that we don't get to know, at least right now, maybe we will find out. The only demands might be that, you know, he could have he could have thought I'm I'm likely to get this Miami job and I want to stay here. But you just gotta make me defensive coordinator. I need I need that promotion. I need that for my resume. I need that to progress in my career further and further. So that's it. Just match what Miami is willing to do, and I'm I'm staying here because I don't want to leave. That's one possibility. Another is if he felt like he needed play calling duties and if McDermott was willing to give him that. Again, we'll see what we get. In that situation. Uh we'll talk to Saladate. We're not going to find out, I'm sure, this morning about who's calling plays. Maybe we'll hear from Sean McDermott or Bobby Babbage, but uh the combine also next month might be a more natural place where we, we find that out because coaches talk all the time there, GMs talk all the time, and that'll be the next point to really get a lot of information uh for the Bills offseason. So Babbage stays and a, like, uh, a similar story in Detroit happens yesterday in that Ben Johnson, who everybody expected to get the Washington head coaching job. Everybody expected that. He stays in Detroit. And that to me is like I can really respect a guy doing that to say you know not the time for me not the perfect job for me I'm going to stay I'm happy here I'm happy calling plays and I've got all the credit I need from the offense and I've got the pl- all the play calling duties because Dan Campbell gives me that and just I don't know I don't think Ben Johnson has to think. Well, I gotta take the Washington job right now, or I may never get the job I want. I wonder if you start to see more of this from Ben Johnson types. I think you know maybe a little of this is what happened with Brian Dable. I think there were other you know factors with Dable that that I think mattered to why he didn't take the first job that was available to him because he. I mean, hypothetically, he could have left before that final season where the Bills lose to the Chiefs in the 13-second game, and then he takes the Giant job after that. I mean, he could have taken a job before that. Chargers, I think, interviewed him uh, when they hired Brandon Staley, and he interviewed a couple of other places. Like He had interest, and he had, I think, ability to get a job before he took the Giant job, but he waited. And he waited, and he picked his timing and thought the Giants were the right team. And I think looking back, maybe a mistake. You got the big brand, you got the big market, you got the big team, but you don't have the quarterback situation, which is always going to be most important. And then after making the playoffs, you kind of got stuck with who your quarterback is when they paid Daniel Jones. We'll see if they get out of that this year. But Ben Johnson, he doesn't have to take the commander job. Now, the commander job, though, what's interesting there is Johnson would have the ability to start on the same timeline and hand-pick his next quarterback with the second overall pick. What I really wonder is how much due diligence he's done and how much of his decision could be I just don't really like Drake May. Or I just really don't like Jaden Daniels. I don't love my option at rookie quarterback. And this is the guy I'm going to be tied with. You take the Washington job, so much of your career is tied to, well, how good is Drake May going to be? Assuming he'd be the second guy. Now, May, though... Is thought of as a top prospect, and he's not even a hundred percent like the tools guy. Like he's got athletic ability, he's got arm strength. You know, not on the freakazoid level, but pretty good. Big expectations for him, and it would be a little weird if Johnson was just thinking, "Yeah, not. I would like to do better than this," and maybe he can't get better than that. He again, though, is allowed to be patient because of the reputation that he's built for himself, and that's the type of coach now that teams will chase whenever he decides, hey, I want to be a head coach. 37 years old. 37 years old. What's the rush? What's the rush? You wait a year? Maybe next year? I mean, I don't think the Bills job's ever going to become available, but... He might be thinking in the back of his head, like, I wonder if two, a year, another, one more bad year in the playoffs by the Bills. And uh, maybe I can go coach Josh Allen. Or maybe he thinks, what's another job that could be available in a year? The Dallas job. Hey, maybe in a year, Mike McCarthy finally gets let go by Jerry Jones, and I'm going to go be the Cowboys coach with Dak Prescott. It's up to him. He has the ability to choose that. He doesn't have to jump right now to the first available job, the first available opportunity. I doubt he's going to end up being one of those guys though that just wants to be a play caller for life or be a coordinator for life. You get a few of those. Not not many. How long who is the uh who's the old uh, Colts offensive coordinator Tom Moore who was Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator forever and never that at least I remember stepped away to become a head coach. Just he was content being Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, and that was it. Dick LeBeau, right now he actually I think did try his hand at head coaching at one point, but then you know he did he even make the Hall of Fame as just a long time coordinator with the Steelers, Dick LeBeau. So it it happens once in a while where a guy just says, "Yeah, I'm good being a coordinator." Less stress, you know? Less, uh, I don't have to talk to the media as much. I don't have to have the microscope pointed at me as much. I don't have to answer for everything. I don't have to deal with ownership as often. Just a less stressful gig. Gonna make less money doing it. But, if the the guy's happy doing what he's doing, I guess all the power to him. He is going to be, though... I think the number one coach candidate. The moment he says, "Okay, I'm ready to be a head coach," in the NFL, in Washington, man, they really. I think they really miss out. I think this was the right pick. I wasn't confident that that's where they were going to land. They, with the new owner, I thought was going to make want to make a splash move like a Belichick, just for the name sake of. Yeah, look at me. Walking through the door of the owner's meeting, he's like, I just got Bill Belichick. Like, I'm, I'm here to compete. But instead, it looked like they were about to make a smart and calculated decision by bringing in Ben Johnson. Well, now they miss out. And I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they circle around to a Belichick type. But Johnson kind of left them hanging, which is going to be tough for them to overcome, but good for him. And Good for Dan Campbell, because I like Dan Campbell. He's not my perfect coach. I mean, he is offensive in nature, I guess, because of his experience as a tight end coach and before that playing tight end in the NFL, but he's not, you know, he's not the play caller, and I don't know of him ever calling plays at any point in his career, and that for me is always the number one trait I would want in the head coach. Teams probably act very different. Not all. Some, I think, more and more acting like this. But I would not... The number one quality I would want in my head coach is how good are they at calling plays on offense. And Campbell's not that. But I said the other day, I'm going to want to defend him all offseason for what happened in the Niner game going forward on fourth down. I'm going to want to defend him all year for that. I'm gonna wanna, I am gonna want to see it work. I really want to see it work with Dan Campbell, and I want to see it work with him being true to himself, not cowering like Brandon Staley did. Brandon Staley went for it on fourth down all the right times in his first season with the Chargers, and his season ended, and he got a lot of heat for the way he was doing that, and I think the sentiment is the owner kind of told him, okay, cut it out. Cut it out. And I want to think that's not going to happen in Detroit. And if it did, Campbell is strong enough to say, hey, if you want to fire me, then fire me. I'm going to be me. I'm coaching this team. If I'm, am I the head coach? I'm coaching this team the way that I know how to coach this team. Campbell seems like a strong enough personality to overcome criticism of what he did on fourth downs, and he is going to continue To be one of the best game management coaches in the league. I want to see that work. For that reason. And I don't know how well that works in Detroit. Without Ben Johnson as the offensive coordinator. Dan Campbell maybe changed the culture. But the defense wasn't very good this year. Why were the Lions great this year? Because their offense was one of the most consistent offenses. Maybe only behind the Niners. In the NFC this year. So I'm glad Ben Johnson's staying. Because I really want to see that work. For uh, for Dan Campbell. Eight oh three oh five fifty 550 is the phone number. That's a little bit on what happened in the coaching world yesterday. We spend a lot of time. On Sean McDermott. Rightfully so. Callers want to do it. And it's a good question. Because. You know. You could get into a bunch of different areas of McDermott's job security. One, how secure is it? To this point, no indication to me to believe that it's not as secure as possible. The other more interesting parts of it are are, how long do you give him? How many times do you let him get a kick at the can? How much of Josh Allen's career do you give to Sean McDermott? How much better do you think it would go? Who would you replace him with? Because that's the thing too, if you're gonna you wanna fire Sean McDermott, you better come ready with a name that's gonna do better than he would. We have those talks about McDermott all the time. What about Brandon Bean? What about Brandon Bean? I want to get into that when we come back. 8030550 is the phone number. I'm gonna put a poll up on this as well. How much blame for the Bills losing again? in the divisional round, should go to the general manager in comparison to the head coach. Let me know what you think. We got Sal coming up at 8 o'clock. Got some hockey stuff to get to along the way as well. We're talking with a guest at 9.30 on a trade idea for the Sabres that I think makes a ton of sense. Um, That's going to be not a fun... it's It's not fun with the Sabres right now, but... You know, here's the hoping that it uh, turns around. What do they need to do to turn it around? We'll talk about some of that stuff uh, coming up as well. We'll have some fun today. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. Jeremy White is off. We've got now till eight to get your phone calls in, so line up now. We'll get to you right when we come back. Josh Schmidt in producing, and this is Jeremy Joe. Jeremy off. This is WGR.
0: Bobby
7: and I have been together a number of years, going back to our time together in Carolina. And, you know, his dad was with us for a number of years here and good family. Bobby's a good coach. He's developed players. And I think, you know, when you evaluate a coach, it's are you taking what you have and making it better?
4: It doesn't get any need to get any more complex than that. And Bobby's done that. Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott. Bobby Babich is the new defensive coordinator replacing. Well, I guess you could say replacing Leslie Frazier. They spent a year without an official defensive coordinator in title. McDermott took on those duties. Um, got some help from Washington, I'm sure Babbitt and a lot of those assistant coaches that were on the staff. But now Babich is the official defensive coordinator. Talk more about it with Sal coming up at 8 o'clock. 803-0550 is the phone number. Can't believe we got to watch the Chiefs again in the Super Bowl. I can't believe we got to watch the Chiefs again in a Super Bowl. I, I can't decide, though, if I am sick of them or not. I, I wonder... Is it just for me that they keep beating the Bills? Because I don't mind dynasties in sports. Like, the Warriors were likable. I did not like when Kevin Durant went there. I did not like that part of it. But in general... Love Steph Curry. Love Klay Thompson. I mean, Draymond Green drives you crazy, but the dude's like a perfect wrestling heel to make things more interesting. So, the Warriors dynasty. I didn't i didn't get sick of that, really. I didn't be, get sick of watching them. Um, I guess Alabama, I got pretty sick of. The Patriots, I got sick of, but that might be more so because of the Bills. Losing to them twice a year, every year, my entire childhood. Who else? Are the Lightning a dynasty? The Bruins? Maybe. Mm, They only won one cup. I don't think you're allowed to be a dynasty with only one cup. I think that's more the just...
3: The sustained success. Buffalo, Boston. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing.
4: I'm trying to figure out, like, is there a dynasty? Like, do we have to get sick of all the dynasties no matter what? Because they just just keep showing up. What about the Dodgers? The Dodgers, yeah. I mean, they've
3: won a bunch, but, like, it's never been, like... Super consistent.
4: But they've also only won one. That's why I don't think they're considered a dynasty either. Like, you, gotta True. Win th- you gotta win three. Yeah. I think that that's kind of the rule. Well three of with
3: the same group or three in like a certain time span.
4: Three in like a like in a five or six year time span, I think. That I think this debate was happening when the Blackhawks won three. Like that's dynasty because they won three and six, I think it was. Three and five. Something like that. What about the Kings from that time span too? No, nah, you didn't they didn't win enough. Oh,
3: they didn't win three. They only won two.
4: Yeah. Even the Chiefs now, like they they might need to win to get this next week. But I I almost wonder, like, if you win two, but those are the only two you go to, then maybe you don't get it. If you win two and you went to four in a five-year span like the Chiefs, they might get it no matter what. Um, what I'm trying to figure out is, am I sick of them because of the Bills' rivalry or because I'm actually sick of them? Like, there's... Maybe we'll play the clip later. There's Patrick Mahomes. What is he talking about, about Justin Tucker? He's talking about Justin Tucker being an agitator. Why? Because he was stretching in the same place in the field that he always has, and Mahomes thinks he's doing it to irritate him? Like, what is he? what on earth is he talking about? Here are the Chiefs again, just digging and digging and digging until they get to the earth's core to find anybody that rubs them the wrong way so that they can use it as bulletin board material. I mean, get over yourselves. Just play the game.
3: I think it's also, remember their whole thing last year where Travis Kelsey's, oh, the Chiefs were still the Chiefs or whatever. Like, that whole mentality they had of like, oh, everyone doubted us. And it's like, no, not really. The,
4: The Cincinnati mayor called the stadium burrowhead, and suddenly the Chiefs were the most doubted team in the league. Just... What what is your problem? Why do you need to be doubted? You're great. Everyone says it. Everybody knows it. Just play the play the damn game. You're gonna do great no matter what.
3: Yeah, I think that's what it is for me. Like, I, like, yeah it it isn't fun when the Bills lose to the Chiefs, but like, they're always good games. Like, it's not like right. you're getting like there. There was the one AFC uh, the first time they played in the playoffs. When it was like a blowout mm-hmm. at the end of it, that one was like frustrating. But every single other game has been so entertaining. And obviously in the regular season, you have their number. But it's like I think what's so irritating about them is the they're trying to get this mentality of oh people are doubting us. It's like no, like you you mm-hmm. have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time on your mm-hmm. team, and
4: right there are goat debates like, right now about him.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah. Like you're you're being yeah. your quarterback's being put up against Tom Brady as the best player of all time. And you're sitting there trying to say, oh, well, people are doubting us of, of, that we're not going to win.
4: Yeah. I, I, I just I do get that. This is new for me, though. Like, the frustration with them and getting sick of them. Like, I, I did not have that at all until this year. And even now, it's not near the same level for me that it once was with New England. It's not even close. I mean, Mahomes, to me... Despite being a little bit more annoying this year, right? You know, trying to fight the referee after Kadarius Tony was offside against the Bills. And then proclaiming that it affects Travis Kelsey's legacy, to call that. Ugh. And then this Tucker thing. Like, he's more annoying this year than ever. But it ain't close to what Tom Brady became. It's not It's not close. I, I see Mahomes as being more authentic in a in a in a lot of ways than than Brady ever was and certainly is now so I think Mahomes is more likable than Brady Mahomes also by the way is a more fun watch than Brady Brady was calculated and efficient and smart and fiery like he had that stuff but he was not making a lot of wow plays. He'd make the clutch throw. He'd make the right throw at the right time. Um, but Mahomes makes plays that are gonna be on SportsCenter top ten every game. The play to Kelsey. Like he's more he's just a more fun watch than Brady is. And Andy Reid is so much more likable than Belichick. Like that, that one is the blowout of all blowouts. Everyone loves Andy Reid. Who doesn't love Andy Reid? He's awesome. He's great. The mustache, the persona, the style. His teams are always fun to watch. That's not always true of Belichick teams, but you know, Andy Reid teams are always going to be fun to watch too. So, you know, Mahomes, not as likable as he's always been. I think, and not even just in Bill's terms, but in general terms, but more likable than Brady. And Andy Reid, in this conversation, blows out Belichick. Like, the Chiefs are more likable than the Patriots were. So, what's happening with me? Is it just inevitable that if you make four out of five, if you be- start to become a dynasty, then we're going to get sick of you? We want to see fresh teams. We want to see fresh personalities. We want to see new players. We want to, I mean, if Lamar Jackson was in the Super Bowl, it would be more interesting for me. First time Lamar is there and all sorts of legacy on the line for him. And he, of course, is a super exciting watch. He blew it in that game on Sunday, but I don't know. I'm trying to think of a dynasty where you just didn't get sick of them. Other than like the Warriors are the closest thing that you're really going to get. And, of course, this one is different for us. Because Buffalo and Kansas City now have a shared timeline. And that's not, you know, that's not that wasn't really true of New England. New England would beat the Bills twice a year. But the Bills weren't supposed to win when the Patriots were existing. They, there was never a time when... They were good enough to enter that chat. And this Bills team has been. So that almost, I wonder if it, that, you know, starts to even the gap between, all right, the Chiefs might be more likable than the Patriots were, but we hate them more for getting in our way than we did New England. Because, you know, what was what was J.P. Lossman going to do if Tom Brady wasn't in the division? What was Trent Edwards really going to do if Tom Brady wasn't in the division? Maybe squeak into the playoffs like one time and get bouncing the wild card around like what were, what were they what were they gonna do? eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. Let's go to Rich in Lakeview, Hey, rich,
0: hey, good morning, guys. You know what? I agree with you in an alternate universe somewhere, Josh Allen checks down to an open dig. they milk the clock and it ends with Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer intercepting a Harold Mary with ten seconds left, and we don't have to talk about this at all, mm. but ultimately. We're going to put up with this stuff until somebody beats them. And, you know, they've proven with two minutes left to have a better quarterback, um, a better tight end, and better coaching. So I guess, you know, to the what do they say? The, to the victor goes the spoils. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I don't like is, like you said, guys, there's nobody doubting them. What they did with Justin Tucker, and I teach high school, and I call it bullying down, If under the same circumstances, because Tucker, if anybody goes into the games early and watches any NFL warm-up, pre-warm-up before the pads come on, Tucker's one of the best ever. You know, every kicker, you start Mm -hmm. no step from 10, no step. He does that every game. There's no way even Travis Kelsey is throwing Lamar Jackson's helmet three feet. You you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's not kicking Mark Andrews gloves out of the way during a warm up, and and that's what bothers me. it's, it's not the lessons you teach the kid. I, I don't care about this. I don't care about who they're dating. But until someone beats them, what are you going to do? It's like the kid. It, it's uh, you know the kid on the block. Until somebody knocks them off their perch, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, but I, I just don't like the way it was done. That if they're going to be the evil empire. Well, that's what it is. I I don't like... I I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, it drives me crazy, uh, but the Bills had every chance, and their coaching staff, and you check down to digs, and maybe we're talking about something else. And and it just drives me crazy, but I don't think anyone's disrespecting the Chiefs whatsoever.
4: Yeah. Thanks, Rich, for the call. Because I do think there's also a big difference between doubting and disrespect. You know, like, I... I said on this show for weeks, this is not, this is the most vulnerable Chiefs team we've ever seen with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. This is not the same Chiefs team. I mean, they are in the Super Bowl. So those two things can be correct at the same time. It's why I'm even more deflated and more scared of the Chiefs in general is this is their worst form. And they're still here. And they're going to get better. Doubt can be earned. I don't think... it. Disrespect to me is when you are earning respect. And you aren't getting it. For whatever reason. And the Chiefs... I mean, Mahomes kind of put voice to this. That, you know, people said our offense wasn't good enough and like he even kind of implied like they were right you know when when you're just calling it like you see it hey the chiefs are struggling on offense look they're scoring 7 fewer points per game that's that's not that's not disrespect that's what was happening <laughs> and it's what still is happening by the way the respect for them goes to their defense it's like a different respect 21 points a game versus 28 over the past couple of years They scored three points in their final eight drives against Baltimore. Uh, You know, it both can be true. You doubt them because offensively they haven't looked right all year. Okay, well, you were correct in saying that. No one was wrong. I said it multiple times. This ain't the same Chiefs team. They're more vulnerable than ever. Look, their offense isn't as good as it once was. Okay, well, they scored three points in their final eight drives against Baltimore. Scored 17 total. They're in the Super Bowl. Two things can be true. I doubted them. But I didn't respect, didn't disrespect them, and I ended up being right. Nobody just put them down when they were vulnerable, the most vulnerable. 803-0550 is the phone number. If you're on hold, stick there. We'll get to you. 7 o'clock, we'll get to our Brandon Bean conversation. I got a poll up, and we'll update the poll results, and I want to go through some of the answers that I've seen, getting connected with our fans on whether Brandon Bean deserves more or less blame than Sean McDermott or none at all for losing again in the divisional round. Let me know what you think on the GM, who we don't often talk about in this respect. Jody Biassi, Jeremy White is off today. Sal Capaccio coming up at 8. It's Jeremy and Joe here on W.
2: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs.
8: Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Your team is always
3: changing and evolving with draft classes, free agents, whether they're one-year deals or multi-year deals. Some guys age out, some guys play themselves to where you can't afford them you're constantly changing the roster but this is a quarterback league and
4: i believe in the guy we got under center bills general manager brandon bean i mean josh was talking about how much the baltimore orioles
3: are worth imagine looking at chris davis and saying yeah that guy is going to be on a team that's worth 1.7 billion dollars yeah Dave, what was this hitting hitless streak like
4: it was it was like a hundred. And, a year, was it wasn't a year and a half. It wasn't really that long. Was it? I don't know. It was. I, I it think was it was forever.
3: a crazy amount of like at bats. I think it was like over a hundred at bats.
4: Yeah. Hey, sports teams are a uh, expensive endeavor for anybody out there. Um, Jody Biase, Jeremy White is off today. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. Got a pull up on Brandon Bean. I'm going to get to, but let's go to the phones first. Get connected with our fans. Brought to you by North. Uh, brought to you. Buy Northtown Kia. Shop online dot com for the new Kia Forte Sportage and Telluride. 8 o'clock, Sal Capaccio. Mark in Miami's next. Hey, Mark.
7: Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, a little chilly down here today. We're at 49, so that's all we... Wow! 49!
4: I, yeah. I thought you were about to say like it's chilly down here, like 67. 49. No, no,
7: we're, we're in it today. It's, it's nice. So, um, you know, just blend the two conversations from yesterday and today. I feel a little bit right now like, you know, we're the Detroit Pistons and you know, having problems getting through, you know, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson. Um, and I just was thinking yesterday yesterday a little bit, what would happen if you know, it's I know it's hypothetical, but you know, you take Andy Reid and and their defensive coordinator and switch him with uh Mc um McDermott and uh mm-hmm. our new guy now. Who we don't know anything about. I don't see us getting past this team, but I think if you made that switch, we would definitely beat Mahomes and McDermott. So, just curious what you guys think about that. And um, I just, I just hope this McBean can make some good good calls here in the draft. So, uh, good luck to us. We'll see what happens next year.
4: Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. I mean, you're doing the hypothetical game that a lot of uh, Bill fans will do, where. You usually do it the other way, where you're, like what happens if you switch the quarterbacks, but what if we switched, yeah, the Chiefs coaching staff with the Bills coaching staff? And, I don't know, I'll, I'll take the question, I'll answer it. I think the Bills would win Super Bowls. I think Andy Reid is that good. I think Andy Reid is that valuable. I said yesterday when Sal asked me on the Extra Point Show, like, if Andy Reid wins the Super Bowl next Sunday and wins one more, he gets to four. Is he in the conversation? Is he going to be declared by many to be the greatest coach of all time? Like, can he pass Belichick? And I almost, I want to do it. I want to do it. He is an offensive genius. Is he the number one offensive coach ever? And you know me. I mean, I want my head coach to know that side of the ball more than anything. And, Reed is the guy for that. Reed gets grandfathered in, no disrespect to uh, how old he is, but just he gets grandfathered in to the young crop of young guys like Ben Johnson, who I talked about last hour, or Sean McVay, or Kyle Shanahan, or Mike McDaniel, and Matt LaFleur, all these young, innovative, young, offensive minds. Reed gets, Reed's allowed in that club. He's the one old guy they allow in that club. He's awesome. The the Belichick stuff that I'll point out a lot about how his record in one hundred and seventy games plus without Tom Brady, I think it's eighty two and ninety eight is where he's at right now with that record. That's a lot that's that is a decade plus worth of sample size without Tom Brady. Where Bill Belichick is Joe Philbin as a head coach. Worse than Rex Ryan as a head coach. Reed, without his best quarterback, Mahomes, what was he? He wasn't winning Super Bowls, but he was going to Super Bowls. He was winning divisions. He was going to the playoffs almost every single year. Even Belichick couldn't do that without his all-time great quarterback so I think Reed's got to get a little bit close and I think Reed would do it with yeah a lot of quarterbacks he wouldn't do this I mean he wouldn't go to four out of five Super Bowls that's what makes Mahomes you know maybe the best talent we've ever seen but like what would Andy Reed do with Josh Allen he'd win Super Bowls obviously
3: the the offense would look different but would the defense look that much different if not maybe worse well, it depends. Steve Spagnola is Steve Spagnola coming with him? Well, right. But if it's if the if it's the entire coaching staff, you'd assume yes. But at the same time, for what it's worth, the Bills' defense has been great, especially battling through injuries the way it did this year and things like. I mean, obviously, there's been points of yeah. it where it's you know there've been question marks,
4: but it's it's I fair to give wonder. McDermott enough credit that McDermott's defenses have been great. Pretty much every year he's been the coach and Spegnola. This is the first time in Kansas City. His defense is like legitimately great.
3: Yeah, and he's got pretty good assets there too. Like Chris Jones, LeJarius Sneed came into something this year where he was just great. Yep. The the only player they're really missing from like those first few years was is Tyron Matthew. Right.
4: Right, the and and they replaced him with Justin Reed, so they pretty much even, you know, they replaced that. The, the resume for Andy Reed, 24 seasons in the NFL, he's missed the playoffs only six times, and, I mean, look at all the playoff wins. 25 playoff wins. I mean, a lot of those are in the last few years, but in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, I mean, McDermott, We have the debate about McDermott a lot, and McDermott's an accomplished coach. You know, he's got a great record, and he goes to the playoffs every year, and he wins a playoff game pretty much every year. McDermott, in his first, what is this, year seven? Year eight we're heading into? Has won, or has made it to one conference championship game? Right? In Andy Reid's first seven years as a head coach in the NFL... He went to four conference championship games. Four. And went to a Super Bowl. Didn't win the Super Bowl. And then, took him only three more years, back in the NFC championship game. Then you've got that big gap in the middle where he had a couple tough years in Philly, goes to Kansas City, and was pretty much an 11-win team every year with Alex Smith, go to the wild card, go to the divisional round, and then he gets Mahomes. And the rest is history. They've made every AFC Championship game since. But he's got a great resume. Got a great resume. Better resume than than a lot of other guys, even with other quarterbacks. That's what I think I've. Re- he's had good quarterbacks. Donovan McNabb's not a slot. He's not a scrub. Michael Vick in Philly wasn't a scrub. Alex Smith was, you know, maybe a game manager, but he wasn't terrible. It's not like he's had bums at the position, but. He gets credit for that, too, for helping identify those guys. Let's go to Gary and Marilla. Hey, Gary.
6: Good morning. Morning. Um, I just wanted to piggyback on what you guys were saying, you know, the past couple days and thinking about looking at the Bills as a whole, especially on the offense. You know, if you go Hmm. back two, three years ago, the Bills could be third down and 10, third down and, you know, eight to go, and you just had a feeling that they were going to get it. You know, no matter how they would find a way, whether it's Beasley or some other thing going on, or they would be stopped by their own, you know, means. Now you get into the same situation and you're almost on pins and needles, even 50-50 if they're going to get it or not. And you're, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. And if you look at the red zone for this team in the past, I don't know, two, three years, They've only been able to get into that end zone if Josh Allen has a running play or the tush-push or something else. It seems that there's something missing. I don't know if the coaches are not pulling it out of the players or getting the best out of their players, but if it's not Josh Allen doing it,
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're not
6: getting in. It almost feels like they're not getting in. I think they're very, very flawed. And as Bill fans, I don't think that we see it you know, like we should, you know, being truly honest with ourselves. Because I think they're really flawed, and I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I would love to see them go get a wide receiver if they can actually get the jump ball up there to help Josh out. Diggs is not Diggs anymore. I don't know if it's an injury that we're going to learn about, you know, three years from now or has he fallen off the cliff. But they're very flawed, and I'm just interested to see what they can do. And if the new O.C. can actually – shape the team and pull the best out of each individual player. We've also talked about the offensive line sticking together for five games, but there's a good chunk of games where that middle of that line got their butts kicked on a weekly basis and Josh Allen was just running or hurrying up at the ball. So there's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot more work and when we come up against the best defenses in the playoffs, it's exposed. Yeah, and that's why we end up losing.
4: Yeah, thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary, for the call. You kind of lead me into how much blame does Brandon Bean deserve? Because that's that's a commentary about the coaching staff, but you mentioned in there flawed players, and that's Bean's department. Now, Bean does a pretty I think, solid job in terms of the draft, right? Like, that looks better today than it did a year ago today. And you kind of, you know, part of that is we didn't, we were projecting what the value of the Spencer Brown, Terrell Bernard, James Cook, Khalil Shakir, there were all these picks that, didn't look great early. And that was fair. Kind of like the Chief thing from earlier. Where like, is it disrespectful to just kind of call it how you see it at that time? Because things will change. Players will develop. Players will improve. At this time last year, you looked at Bean's draft record and went, well, okay, let's look at, what does Sean McDermott have to work with? He's got... Kyrie Elam, who can't get on the field, he was a first-round pick. James Cook in the second round, Uh, they didn't trust him. Terrell Bernard in the third round, weird pick all along, and uh, are they even going to let him play this year? Shakir only caught 10 passes in his first season. Spencer Brown as a third-round pick was, oh, this guy is really inconsistent. I mean, there's a lot of advanced numbers. He's the worst lineman in the league. Um Boogie Basham in the second round was, why did I need him in the first place? And he hasn't done anything. They were just so, Epinesa, even at that time, like, eh, just kind of a guy. At Oliver, hadn't, hadn't broke out. There were so many guys you could look at from last year in recent drafts and go, they're not really doing that great, are they? And it is amazing, like, one year can change the sentiment on all that. A lot of those bean picks have turned it around or taken big steps since we would have had that talk a year ago. Not all of them. Kyrie Elam hasn't, but James Cook just made the Pro Bowl, 1,000 yard rusher, number one running back. Terrell Bernard went from, is this guy even going to be an NFL player? To, okay, we got a good athletic versatile starting middle linebacker that's cheap that they really missed in the Kansas City game. That's how important he is now, where when you think of that Chief game, you'll remember that Bernard didn't play. Shakir went from 10 catches in year one, to 39 catches in year two, tons of yardage, Maybe their most trustworthy receiver down the stretch and into the playoffs. You've got Spencer Brown, who took a big step last year and became a reliable starting right tackle. And Epinesa had his best season rushing the passer. And suddenly I look at Brandon Bean's draft record and go, well, this now looks pretty good. It's not incredible. There are misses. Elam in the first round is not a good look. But he maybe made up for it because rounds 2, 3, and 5 were, and 6, by the way, James Cook, Terrell Bernard, Khalil Shakir, Christian Benford. you take that every year. I mean, you could do better, but ideally, right, you don't want to, but if I told you, hey, I'm going to miss on the first round pick, but I'm going to hit on pick rounds two, three, five, and 6, you'd sign up for that every day. Bean's draft record looks better. But it's not spotless. And there are free agent moves that you could point to and go, this is a big reason why they don't have the ability to manage the cap and to add talent like Kansas City is about to have this offseason. The big move that's not going well for Brandon Bean. It's not one I'd want to be overly critical of him for, because I didn't think it was a bad idea at the time. I thought it was a great idea, and I don't really remember anybody saying it was a bad idea. The Von Miller contract is looking rough. Really, really rough. Now, you could look at this a couple of different ways. What I just said, which I think is true, I don't remember there being anybody out there that said, oh, don't sign Von Miller, that's trouble, that's too risky. No, it was, come on, man, it's Super Bowl, let's go. Von Miller just chose to come here. You gave him, what, a th- it's basically a three-year deal, but it can be up to six for all this money, that's fine. Take the risk. But there was always some risk baked in because, I guess, the age. 33 years old. You know, you might have been wondering could he go the whole could he go the distance of that contract? And that would have been a determining factor for Bean and other GMs like in Dallas and Denver that were trying to decide what to offer him last year. So now we're into year three. And there is nothing on their books that is going to limit them more and what they can do more than the Von Miller contract. They can't even really restructure it and have that sound like a great idea because when you you restructure a contract, you're pushing more money down the road, which essentially means you are committing to the player for a longer period of time in order to lower their cap hit on the short term. Who in the world wants to sign up for more Von Miller, a longer period of time with Von Miller. That's not the only reason why, but the Bills have a problem cap-wise. And how much of that is to blame on Bean? How much of the difference between the Chiefs and the Bills is to blame on Bean? Because I saw that a little bit on Twitter from the poll that I put up uh, in response. Like, how much blame does Bean deserve for losing in the divisional round again this year? More than McDermott? Uh, same as McDermott? Less than McDermott? Or none? And right now, it's pretty much a two-way tie. Same as McDermott and less than McDermott are the two leading answers. I think I would answer about the same. The, th- the reason why I wouldn't... Because Bean, I do think, is a very good general manager. But where I do think he's missed, and I don't think this is hindsight, I don't think it's allowed to be hindsight when I've been saying it for five years, and we a lot of us have been saying it for five years, or three years. They've just needed more at wide receiver. They've just needed to abandon this idea that pass catchers is sufficient, is a sufficient fill-in for wide receivers that, oh, it's okay. Dalton Kincaid's like a wide receiver. James Cook is like a wide receiver. They're not wide receivers. And what has happened in the last couple of years as Brandon Bean has invested in these weapons that are not wide receivers is it, it almost sounds backwards because that's what's been sold is, they're versatile because they can line up wide. They can line up in line. They can line up in the slot. But these guys limit the Bills' versatility. When you bring in a tight end like a Dawson Knox and a, and a Dalton Kincaid in a 12 personnel package, you are limiting the areas of the field that the defense has to worry about. I mean, Dalton Kincaid... He's bigger than a receiver, but he runs a forty in like the four the late four fives the early four sixes if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm not worried about that guy beating me over the top versus a Khalil Shakir he's not a burner either, but he can get me down the field. How about I mean the difference between Kincaid on the field and one of the rookie receivers that didn't fall to them last year had they managed to get their hands on one of them, you've just got more routes to have to cover. Tight ends, running backs, these guys run limited route trees. And it limits your versatility as an offense in general when you invest your talent at skill positions that are not wide receiver. And that to me is the whole that the Bills dug for themselves, that we we saw in front of our eyes in the second half, and well the whole season, really. And the playoff game especially. We saw it. Look what they looked like. They couldn't push the ball down the field. Why are we talking about explosive plays? Why was McDermott talking about explosive plays? Because their investment has been... In tight ends and running backs. That's not where you're going to get those big plays over the top. The good news is, I think they finally understand that they need to address that, and they're going to address that. But the question for me is, how much blame do they get in the last three years for, and even this year especially, it's limited to this year, How much blame is Bean and who they brought in player-wise? How much blame is that for why the season ended? And I do think there is a degree to which there there deserves to be blame. You needed to do more at wide receiver. Other things went well. Bean deserves a lot of credit for bringing in Rasul Douglas. That really helped them defensively in a big way. He deserves a lot of credit for bringing in Leonard Floyd. Because without Leonard Floyd, they would not have had a pass rush last year. He basically replicated the production that Von Miller was giving them the year before. So there are good moves in here. No doubt. But the one big miss that is a huge reason why their season was such a struggle was... They ignored one of the most important positions on the team that they desperately needed to add talent to. 8030550 is the phone number. Sal's coming up at 8. Got a Sabres trade idea that I want to talk about. We'll talk about with Jason Moser also from PuckLuck.com coming up at 9.30, but we'll get to it a little bit before that as well as the Sabres are off this week, bye week, into the All-Star break, uh, Saturday's All-Star game, and then they'll be back at it next Tuesday. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll get to you when we come back. McDermott versus Bean in terms of how much blame is supposed to go around everybody for this team not being the Chiefs. If Allen's as close to Mahomes as we all say, then the Bills should be a lot closer in accomplishments to Kansas City. They're not. Who's to blame for that? Let me know what you think. Jeremy and Joe, Jeremy off today. This is WGR. I've had like seven years of kind of doing that same warm-up routine, and there's only been, a, I think, like three occasions where there's been a kicker that wasn't necessarily moving out the way or you t- you weren't kind of sharing the field in the right way. And, I mean, it was in Baltimore all three times. So he does that little stuff, that I think, to try to get under our skin. And I asked him to move his stuff, and he and he got up and moved it, I think, two
6: inches, but didn't move it out of the way. And I, I was going to kind of let it slide, but Travis kind of got it and moved it for me. And then after that, I wasn't going to let him put it back down. So it's, it's something that we – we move on. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him as a player and as a kicker. One of the best kickers of all time, probably the best kicker of all time.
4: But at the same time, you got to have respect for each team. And we all share the field, and we, we try to do that in a respectful way. Patrick Mahomes. All right. I guess when you hear it, I had read that quote. It's not as bad, but what what does he think? Do you think Justin Tucker's really trying to get under his skin? Like, I don't know. Kickers to me have always seemed
3: like goalies and like pitchers. So it's like if you have a routine, like you're gonna want to
4: stick to that. So like Justin Tucker has a routine
3: in his stadium. Like it's also hard for
4: a kicker, like to find. Like you ever see them like trying to warm up like when the band is on the field and they get a kick through like the little kids playing lacrosse on the field. Just
3: could be tough. Yeah, it's not like you can go off on like the sideline and like you know throw a pass or two like 20 yards like you have to be in the middle of the field most of the time in the way of pretty much everybody like there's nowhere else they can kick really unless they're kicking into a net and that like you know we've Mm -hmm. seen that doesn't really help people sometimes so i don't know i'm i'm on justin tucker's side purely because of the fact that if it's like a superstition thing i'm also a superstitious person and if somebody tried to mess with my routine Mm -hmm. i would be you know like no this is my arena i'm Doing it because I always do it right here, and you can go somewhere else. You have the rest of the field to play with. Like like he said, they all share the field, so why not just go somewhere else?
4: Yeah, I don't know. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. I got to get to Arthur Smith being the Steelers' offensive coordinator. Also, by the way, because that is truly the funniest thing they could have done. Actually, not true. Cliff Kingsbury would have been the funniest thing that they could have done. But Arthur Smith is a uh, maybe a close second. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. We're talking Bean versus McDermott. Just kind of comparing the two, because McDermott gets most of the blame when seasons end, and Bean kind of skates. And I'm not even saying that's wrong, but I do think the glaring omission of a receiver acquisition of consequence in the last couple of years is uh, is really worth looking at. And I just dug up some numbers on explosive plays, more so Josh Allen and his ability to complete the deep ball. Allen started his career horrible throwing the ball deep when he was still a very inaccurate quarterback. He had not yet tweaked his throwing mechanics Right, not even tweaked he really kind of just overhauled them uh after that 2019 season he overhauled the way he threw the football and he got more accurate after that worked with um who's the Jordan Palmer right his a uh, personal quarterback coach in the summer so from 2020 on like new throwing motion Josh Allen and on his deep ball completion percentage by year this is a receiver stat to me because what lines up here is as his numbers go down the receiver talent also goes down. 2020, 44.9% deep ball completion percentage. 2021, it goes down 2 percentage points. 42.5%. And then in 2022, it goes down 4 more percentage points to 388 This year, goes way down to 31.6%. 7% down from last year and over a four season span it's gone down 13%. That's a giant 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 decrease. That's a receiver stat. That is you don't you used to have John Brown and Gabe Davis. And you know, Diggs was faster at that point in time. Diggs was coming off his last year in Minnesota, where he was like the best deep threat in football. So, as time's gone on, Diggs has maybe gotten, what, a hundredth or a tenth of a, probably not a tenth, maybe a hundredth of a second slower by year, at least a little bit, a little bit slower year by year. And no John Brown, then no Emmanuel Sanders. And they arrived at a point last year where Gabe, Gabe Davis maybe even you know, probably not as fast as he was when he first entered the league. The speed element is just never been replaced. And it's hard to not just arrive back at that point. And that's where, it's really the only place I want to put it. I think the Vaughn extension you could only go so far with as criticism for being because it was a good idea at the time. Like, there was not a lot of counter to that idea. But the one that has been sitting there all along that has just seemed, you know, so easy to see, you gotta do something here, has been wide receiver. And that's Bean. That is, I think, right? Those McDermott's telling him you gotta draft Kyrie Elam instead of Christian Watson. But I'm trusting that Brandon Bean, those are his drafts. He knows what McDermott wants. He knows what, you know, Joe Brady wants. He knew what Ken Dorsey wanted, I'm sure. But... He's the guy making those trade calls. He's the guy working that board. He's the guy running his amateur scouting department. He is the guy in charge of all that. So, he's the one that's spearheading it all. He's the one that I want to put on the hook for why why did they get to a place where they had to run the ball more, they had to start throwing the ball short more often and they had to return to Josh Allen running. Why did all of those things happen? And it's because 3 years have gone by since Emmanuel Sanders was last on this team. 2 seasons worth, I guess. And they have not made the move to address that position in 2 years. 8030550 is the phone number. My poll, by the way, right now, if you're wondering on the results, how much blame does Bean deserve for losing in the divisional round again this year? The leading answer is less than McDermott. Not none, but less than McDermott. Same as McDermott, a very close second. Almost nobody wants to say more than McDermott. Listen, I'm just saying, like, Bean's great. You know the sunglass meme will pop up a couple times a year for sometimes deserve, sometimes not on Twitter. He has been seen as a capologist, and I don't mind how aggressive he is in terms of making trades. Um, in fact, I love that for the the pro personnel side of things, draft side of things. You know, it's not always the the greatest, but I can I can listen to it in a certain spot. It is worth pointing out, though, they're in a pretty bad cap situation. And you might think, well, it's inevitable. Josh Allen's got a monster contract. But the Chiefs are sitting there with a monster Mahomes contract, and they're not in cap jail. And how did they manage that? Well, I know, here's one, though, where like I don't want to let Bean off the hook for that entirely. The fact that the Bills have no cap space and the Chiefs have you know a good amount. Even after they pay Ladarius Sneed and Chris Jones, they'll still have a good amount of cap space. Or should. The Bills, who will have to work to get under the cap. Only New Orleans has less cap space than them. So much of it is the Vaughn, Diggs, and Allen contracts. And what were they going to do with Diggs? The Chiefs are in better shape than the Bills are in, in, a, in a lot of ways because... They traded their Stephon Diggs. They hit a point where it was time to pay Tyreek Hill, and they decided to trade him instead of sign him. I think that is a lot, a lot easier to do when you've already won. When you've already won a Super Bowl, I think you get away with that a lot easier. Versus if you're the Bills... Not only have you not won with this regime, you've never won ever. Your franchise has never, ever won. And when you have a talent like that, you're not looking to sell. You're looking to push your chips to the middle. That's maybe what's even more frustrating, though, about the Chiefs being here. Is they made a move that had the next window in mind. They traded Tyreek Hill... Knowing this move's not going to make us better right now, but what it is going to help us do is get our cap in shape. We're going to get younger. We're going to get cheaper. We are going to acquire unknown commodities in exchange for the best wide receiver we've ever had. The Bills could have done the same thing before they gave Stephon Diggs that giant extension. But Actually, I don't really think the Bills could have done it. What does that look like if you're a team that hasn't won and you do that? That's why it's frustrating the Chiefs are here. The Chiefs made that move. These were supposed to be retooling years for them. But that's where great drafting can come into play. They spun those Tyreek Hill picks around and they built an incredible defense. So they get to be here. 803-0550 is the phone number. i got another stat of the day for you when we come back. Um, we've got Sal Capaccio coming up at 8 for more on Bobby Babich being named the Bills' defensive coordinator. Jeremy White is off today. He'll be back tomorrow, though. Uh, we've also got a uh, Dynasty Fantasy guest coming up at 8.30. Not so much for fantasy, but for some digging into the receiving class and the Senior Bowl this week and a lot of um, the names that we'll be talking about for the Bills so we are going to talk with Derek Tate, um, fo- fantasy football analyst, pro football network. Um, again, though, we won't talk as much about the fantasy part of it as much as he just did all his dynasty ranks, dove in on all these receivers and, and tight ends too, but I want to get to him with the receivers. Uh, Derek Tate coming up at 8.30. Salad 8, still time for your phone calls when we come back. Stay tuned. This is WGR. All right, I got another stat of the day for you. Colin Cowherd had... Surprisingly, to some, an elite take yesterday. They did like a four minute video or segment on anybody that's bothered by Taylor Swift and her being shown on these NFL broadcasts. Here's a stat from the New York Times. You want to know how many seconds in a three and a half hour broadcast? Taylor Swift's been shown in these games that she's been attending. Last weekend, 22 seconds. The Bills game, 32 seconds. The Raider game on Christmas was the most at exactly one minute. The Dolphin game, 14 seconds. If you're getting... Upset or bothered because they're showing Taylor Swift during a three and a half hour football broadcast for thirty seconds. Coward put it this way, and I agree with him. It says more about you than it says about anything else. It's thirty seconds, man. They show John Hamm at every St. Louis Blues game you've ever seen, or or uh, Rams game back in the day. They show Eminem at the at the the Lions games, right? jack nicholson at the lakers games it's not a thing it shouldn't be a thing it's so little time is that stunning though only 30 seconds like but on average ish I, I guess it makes sense because I mean, you would think it's like five minutes
3: like it from... feels like five minutes sometimes yeah but, but i think but it's, it's also i think it's because it's right after a touchdown like right. it, especially like right when your team gets scored on you're like oh right great We just got scored on, and now, and oh, and like that's the added thing of like. But in reality, if it was the other way around, like if your team was scoring and then they're showing her, it's like oh, cool, like whatever.
4: Yeah, and right, they show her for what a second and a half after touchdowns. And what what are what are they they really replacing there? They're replacing the coach cutaway where they point to a coach who's holding up a one because that's all you ever see, right? Right. If they if they whenever you see the Bills score a touchdown and the camera goes to McDermott, it's the same thing. Not really seeing anything. It's just McDermott holding up a one because he's calling for the one pointer. Yeah. Like it, you're getting a fan celebrating. That's it. You've I, seen it a million other times with other celebrity people, but
3: with Taylor I, Swift, it's a thing. I don't know. I wonder if it would be the same way if it was just like a specific fan of that team was shown every time a touchdown was scored. Like, you know, would you just get annoyed with that fan? Because it's oh, I just my team just got scored on and now I have to see this fan again cheering all I don't know, It's
4: it's a second and a half we're talking about during right, after these touchdowns. Right. So I hear you, but it's it's oh not, no, I'm, it's, not, it's, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I know you're de- not defending. Like, yet.
3: I'm just saying it's more so like a generalization of like if it was just a fan of a team, right? You'd still probably be annoyed, but it's for some reason it's because it's her. It's blown out of proportion yep. and everything, but.
4: Sal Capaccio coming up next. Bobby Babich hired as Bill's defensive coordinator. We'll talk more about it with him coming up next. Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy's off today. This is WGR. It's Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio.
9: Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Capaccio. Sal Capaccio, Sal Capaccio on
6: WGR.
4: Sal Capaccio joins now on the Wester Hotline on a sunny—I mean, the, the the sun is so bright, Sal. It's like hitting the blinds in the studio here and then bouncing off. Where I'm like, should I even go up and
8: close the blinds because it's getting so bright in here? Which is good. Huh? <laughs> I know. I love that. I love it. And, I mean, the days are getting a little longer now as we go, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, once you get to December 21st, which is the shortest day of the year, they start to get a little bit longer every day, and then pretty soon we're going to turn our clocks again, and, oh, here we are, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, and, Joe, it has been so, like, wet. The snow, the rain, I mean, we got to dry out a little bit, and, of course, I mean, just the flooding that's been going on in the area, just, I feel so bad for a lot of the people in those areas where that's been happening, no doubt, been seeing those stories. But I know even, like, I don't flood here where I live, but, man, my backyard and out front and the mud and all that just, it kind of gets gross and disgusting, and every time you walk outside, it's all over the place, so let's get a little, let's dry that up a little bit, too, you know?
4: Yeah, the the mud has been crazy. Anyone that's letting dogs outside knows the uh, the, the the deal yes, in the last couple of days. Wwi- sure. Got to be wiping paws when they come inside every time. So, Sal, we talked a little bit about him this week and this possibility, but... The news yesterday for the Bills, not stunning, right? That Bobby Babbage gets named uh, defensive coordinator.
8: No doubt. Uh, not a huge surprise, um, but you know something that I think people were still wondering what happened, and a lot of that was tied to his opportunities and interviews he was getting with the New York Giants, the Green Bay Packers, and the Miami Dolphins. And there's been a thought out there, and a lot of people have said, hey, Just hire him now so you don't lose him. And that's fine. And maybe that happened. I don't know. Like, we don't know exactly the timeline, what his actual opportunities were. Was he offered a position? Was it always just going to be him? And, you know, they wanted him to kind of go through that process. Whatever. There's a lot of different scenarios that could have happened here. But I would say this. The Bills aren't going to make Bobby Babbage their defensive coordinator. Unless Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean feel comfortable about Bobby Babbage being their defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. they're not going to hire him just to keep him in the building and give him a promotion. That's not how it works. Yes, you want to keep him in the building. Yes, you love, you know he's a very talented, good young coach. But to promote him to that title, he's going to have to you know earn it, and he did. And that's my point. Like it's not like you're not just doing this just to keep him away from another team. That's not how. That's not why you do things like this. So good for him. He's earned this position. He's earned this job. And, um, you know, we'll see. Now, the next question, obviously, Joe, is going to be, will he, you know, call defensive plays? We don't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to, you know, check in yesterday to find out if I could find out anything on that. But there's really been nothing from the team. We don't know. And we might not know until maybe even the combine when we talk to Sean McDermott and Brandon B. Maybe there's something before that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even be surprised, Joe, if maybe we don't know even after that, which is, hey, we're going to go into the offseason, see how it goes. And Bobby's going to take some things off Sean's plate and we'll see how it goes and you know maybe by the time they get to training camp they'll have it all sorted out. I I don't know, it's going to be really interesting.
4: Yeah, I'll be interested to see when we find out or if we do because that was the one thing I was wondering is right, like you you made the right point that they're not going to make him defensive coordinator if they didn't want to. My wonder was would they would McDermott be willing to give him play calling duties if it meant, you know, maybe Miami's different even than the other two. Like if McDermott is sitting in his office and thinks well, if I don't let him call plays, he's going to go call plays for my division rival. So if it's not... It depends. Like If he really wants to call plays, McDermott, then he's not going to let that deter him. But I don't know if he was still considering whether or not he still wants to do it. I wonder if something like that could push him over the edge of, well, if I choose to not do it anymore, this will be make it more likely that I can keep this guy in the building.
8: Right. And you know... Part of that byproduct too is if you do if you keep them away from Miami, it's a team you're not only facing twice a year, obviously your division rival, mm-hmm. they're gonna have a very good understanding of your scheme, right? Yeah, right. You know, he, he's the guy who's been in here for a while. So those are always things. Like, remember hey, remember when the Bills played Brian Dayball and there was talk like after the game, basically Dayball, Wink Martindale, whoever said, like, yeah, we kinda knew a lot of the stuff the Bills were going to do because Dayball had been there and this is the stuff that they were still running. Um, this is, again, a byproduct of if you keep them away from Miami you twice a year, you're not playing against the defensive coordinator who says, I know exactly what the Bills are going to do against this look or that look. I was in that system for a while. I know a lot of what a lot of their checks would be. And of course, you change those things as you go. But for sure. And look, I, I think that, you know, it's a it's it's a nice change to have a, a fresh mind always with fresh ideas and when you're in a position to bring those ideas to the table. Not that he necessarily could never do that before. I'm sure he could, but now when you're the guy, you're running the show and, you know, you're kind of setting the game plan, you know, it's always good. It's always good to get some fresh ideas and new perspectives. And um, you know, you listen to guys like Tyrell Dodson who tweeted out yesterday that Bobby Babbage is the best coach he's ever had. I mean, I think, you know, things like that mean a lot. And when when the players have that kind of respect for someone, it's not it's not just liking a coach. It's having respect for a coach. Um, you know, teaching and coaching. Now, this is their profession. These guys, Tyrell Dodson. I know Matt Milano has spoken very glowingly about him. I know that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer have spoken very glowingly. And it's not because they're just like buddy, buddy. It's because these people help them in their careers and they advance on. And that means a lot. You, you're talking about three all pros that he's coached over the last, what, four years with mm-hmm. Hyde, Poyer and Matt Milano. Right.
4: Yeah. I was like, the position groups that he's touched, Sal. I mean, there's really a, a lot to go on here, right? Of like success stories, guys developing. He wasn't one of the all pro guys, but I mean, how much better can you get from a prospect or a young player that seemed like he was nowhere to, oh, look how important it was for them to not have Terrell Bernard in the final game of the season? And again, right. like, I don't know how much credit he deserves for. Bernard becoming what he
8: did, but he's the he is the positional coach for that position. So he's he's got to get at least some. For sure. And I would say though, there's always a transition of when you become the position coach and then you become the coordinator, like how much your hands are gonna be on the position. We don't know if he's still gonna be linebackers coach, right? I don't know if that mm-hmm. was the official title, not official title. Let me go and look. Maybe it's even on the website because I they haven't changed some other things there. But that's something that, you know, if he's going, it's the same thing we talk about with Sean McDermott. Mm -hmm. If he, (coughs) excuse me, runs the defense and you say, well, there's so much on his plate, like as the head coach, can he run the defense? Well, let's at least think about if Bobby Babbage is running the defense, whether he's calling plays or not, if he's running the defense from Monday through Saturday and putting in the game plan and has his, his, he's watching everything. You know, now you have to also make sure that someone's taking care of and doing everything with the linebackers to keep them doing exactly what they've been doing. So, yeah, I do think it's a um it's mm-hmm. a it's something at least to to think about as they go forward here. And I, I don't know if they're going to have a special linebackers coach or if he's going to be the linebackers coach. As far as I see, he only has a defensive coordinator title right now and they don't have an actual linebackers coach, which could still be him. But I think all that's got to get sorted out.
4: So, we do this more with Brady, right? Like, with in the offensive stuff, like, what does the coordinator want? You know, like, what right. type of personnel might they want? I don't know how deep there is to even go on with this, Sal, with, when it comes to Babbage, Especially when, well, I guess we could talk about it. Like, what safety means in general, even if it doesn't have to mean Babbage. The two positions that he coached for the Bills, I mean, linebacker, they're set. Like, when healthy, at least, you know, their starters are going to be Bernard and Milano. Maybe behind that is the question, Safety, though, is more interesting this offseason for what becomes of it. I mean, it could even be two new guys, let alone I, – I have to think where we're at, right? It's at least going to be one.
8: Joe, I think it could – I mean, you're literally looking at – you could have four new guys. And I, I'm not saying I think it's going to be that way. I think – look, Jordan Poyer has a year left in his contract. But the way the Bills talked about Poyer and Hyde was very reflective – and the way that it kind of feels is that maybe, you know, they're going to move on from him. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he comes back. They say, we got to have him. Uh, not costing a ton of money. Yes, they can save money. We can do that. We know Micah, Micah Hyde's contract is up. We know he's older. He's had the injury. Feels like that's going to happen. But let's also remember Taylor Rapp and Cam Lewis are also free agents. Mm-hmm. And if a team has a chance to bring in guys who are part of the top, top defense in the league under you know, Sean McDermott and his staff to bring him on a one or two year deal, maybe they jump at that. And those guys could get opportunities to go elsewhere. But they could also stay in Buffalo and really kind of become the starting safeties. To me, I think this is all up in the air. Now, you know my affinity my affinity for Cam Lewis. I talk mm-hmm. about him a lot. I think Cam Lewis is one heck of a football player. He does so much for this team. And no, is he is he Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer? No. But, man, he is the backup nickel to Taron Johnson, and I think he could start at nickel in some teams in this league. He is the number four safety who comes in and dime packages. He does so much. He's a special teams guy. He's a very valuable piece to keep. He knows this defense. He went to the University of Buffalo. He's been here, uh, started his family here. I I would think that if you want to keep Cam Lewis – you can keep Cam Lewis unless he gets blown away by another offer. I think Taylor Rapp's an interesting one. So to me, because Taylor Rapp may say, Hey, look, I got a chance to start here. They saw me. I saw them. Hmm. Or maybe the Bills want to have something new there. So I do think that that, then I'm not, I don't want to dismiss DeMar Hamlin. To me, DeMar Hamlin though is a backup safety. That's what he is. I don't think you want to go into the season with DeMar Hamlin as one of your starting safeties. I, I'm fine. He's going to compete for a for a job. We'll see if he plays special teams. There's no guarantee he makes it. He was on the bubble last year making it. I'm focusing on Poyer, Hyde, Rapp, and Lewis. Hyde, Rapp, and Lewis are all free agents. Poyer isn't, but that could very well be something that they're moving on from. You may be looking at four new players in that position, or maybe they come back with Rapp and Lewis, and I don't know how that makes you feel like if I said to you right now next year starting safeties are Taylor Rapp and Cam Lewis, how confident are you? I'm not, that's a good question. I don't know.
4: It's certainly i it's it's weird because safety, I feel like historically and maybe this is even still true, has been one of those positions where you don't have to go all out right? you don't have to pay a ton of money. like you can kind of just pick and choose your spots at that position, but at the same time, it's been so key for the Bills because they've had all pro playback there. We've seen how important that is where I I wonder, like they said so when they brought Hyde and Poyer in, they weren't like the biggest contracts in the world. Like Hyde's was a decent size. No. Poyer though was kind of more of a, hey, this guy was not really a key player in Cleveland. It, it wasn't quite a flyer, but it was, let's see if he'll ascend here. Um, Maybe that's what they would try, you know, like without having right. to feel like we need to spend a first-round pick absolutely on safety because we've got to have the All-Pro guy or
8: we're we're screwed. No, I, I agree with that. And let's remember how they why they signed Jordan Poyer. He was in Cleveland. Bob Babbage was there. I think Bobby was too, mm-hmm. actually. But Bob was, Bob Babbage was on that staff and kind of said, "Hey, this is a guy that I think we can work with and we can use here." And that was a really great, you know key endorsement and for them to go sign him. That was the at the time how it was explained. Um you maybe you find someone like that. Maybe there's somebody on staff who's worked with a guy who's a lower level guy is not getting an opportunity somewhere and say, hey, you know what? That's a guy that we can bring in here to Buffalo. Let's also remember salary cap constraints. And they did have some back in twenty seventeen, of course, when they made those moves, but they have a lot more now even, I'd say. And you're not going to be able to go out and get, you know, top end safeties and pay them. You're going to have to rely on cheaper deals and shorter deals, probably one year deals How they got Taylor Rapp. I mean, Taylor Rapp, look, Joe, I mean, when when people thought that Jordan Poyer was gone, I thought Jordan Poyer was going to leave last year. And Taylor Rapp was a name out there that, hey, if Jordan Poyer leaves, maybe Taylor Rapp can be signed by the Bills to be a starting safety. They get him as the three safety. They get him as a backup. So there are guys out there that you could probably you know bring in. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting how they approach this position. It is a very key position. The one thing I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in Christian Benford moving to safety. I uh-huh. think he showed enough yep. at corner last year to be a solid starting corner in this league.
4: I'm glad you mentioned that because I had that written down as something to bring up because that he is always the guy mentioned there, and I think that's because even maybe the Bills have admitted this, that he, they think he might have the capability to do that. Yes, But I'm in agreement with you, Sal, that like he, there are some numbers that I've pointed out where like he's top 10 among corners at preventing separation this year, and they're, those charts you see with that number on it, He's around like the Patrick Sertans and you know some of the top corners in the league. I don't think he's getting the tougher matchups like those guys. But I saw nothing from Christian Benford in year one or two that makes me want to take him out of the, of the starting rotation at corner. And and especially when like you might seem like they're deep right now at corner, but you move Christian Benford to safety, and suddenly I'm feeling a lot more uncomfortable about my cornerback situation because White and Elam are
8: question marks. It's a great point. Russell Douglas did play a little bit of safety at Green Bay. I don't want that either. We saw what he does as a corner and a ball hawk, right? I mean, you you have that. I think yeah. that sometimes, I think sometimes we get a little too caught up. Maybe we do. I think a lot of fans do. In we'll just move this guy to safety. Move Tredavious White to safety. Move this guy. Like it's a totally different position. Yes, yeah, some guys can make the transition. Some guys just aren't built for it. I don't think Tredavious White's a safety. Not in this defense. You got to tackle. And he's not a great tackler. He's not someone like that's a guy that is going to be, you know, on the boundary covering, a, covering a, mm-hmm. a receiver. And, you know, he's traveling last year the best receiver. That's not necessarily his game. Now, I understand as you get older, maybe certain skills deteriorate. So maybe you fit more in going straight line instead of rotating your hips. All those kinds of things. Aaron Williams is a great example of moving from corner to safety. And he was really good at that. And he excelled at that. But Aaron Williams came into the league and he just wasn't quite the kind of corner that could keep up with wide receivers in the NFL. But man, he is—he was so physical and he was very smart. He just fit the mold. He should have been a safety when he came in the league. That's not the case with a guy like Tre'Davious White. That's not the case with a guy like um, Rasul Douglas necessarily, right? I mean, I think these guys are corners. I honestly, if I looked at it, if I could pick a guy on the on the Bills like corner list. Who might to me fit more of a safety mold. It might be Dane Jackson. But right. I don't even I'm not interested in that either. He's a nice backup corner, and I, I think that would be a tough transition even for him. Yeah. But I think that guy, like, oh, and he's a free agent, by the way, and I'm not suggesting they're gonna do anything like that. But I look at the list and I'm like, I, I really don't want them to do anything like that. I think they have a good group of corners right now. And then the other one we talk about is Kyrie Elam, right? That Kyrie Elam's not a safety. I, he's a right. corner. He he's a lot more of the Tre'Davious White mold than he is the Christian Benford mold, right? I mean, he's just mm-hmm. he's a longer guy. He's athletic. He's a, he's not a guy. He's not a really good tackler. Um, he improved that this year. Yeah. But you you got to have Hyde and Poirier. Those guys are they can play in the box. Poirier was playing dime linebacker. Like that's the kind of guys that go to safety.
4: I uh, Elam to me right. You you talked about his improved tackling. Um, I'm looking at like his missed tackle percentage. Uh numbers and like rookie year horrible last year pretty good but even if he's got the tackling squared away what what do you think of a safety like needing to know like recognizing right like zone coverages especially right oh, cuz yeah. safeties are almost never and playing And that's been the knock on him right And like yeah imagining him figuring that out just seems like he would be on Mars trying to figure out that position Um I, I don't right. think, I don't think they need to do it either and like I think the guy you're, I think maybe this is like a further down the road conversation. I'm thinking of D'Angelo Hall as a guy that was a really good corner for a really long time. And then he got to like his mid-30s and he switched to safety full time. I, I think right. we table this conversation for like two years from now, Sal, when Rasul Douglas might not have the mm-hmm. speed anymore to keep up at corner. Because I think down the road, like he he just screams a guy that like late in his career could be someone that makes that transition.
8: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's right. And he has done it before, right? So Yep. And he is actually he's actually older than Tredavious White, right? I mean, but we know Tredavious White's had the injuries, so we talk about him. We talk about Tredavious White like he's some, you know, you know, old guy walking out there. You know the meme with that old guy in the flag football yes. game? We talk about <laughs> Tredavious White like that sometimes. That's not him. But he's had the injuries, so I understand. But Rasul Douglas is actually a little bit older than him, but he's obviously been healthier and it's an interesting discussion going on. And you you can never have too many corners and injuries happen. So I'm not eager to see them moving guys. Let's see how it plays out in free agency in the draft. I, I think what Brandon Bean said was interesting. They like their depth at corner. He said that, mm-hmm. which is interesting to think about how they might attack the offseason. And I don't think you have to spend a lot to keep Dane Jackson. He he was in this position last year. They They brought him back. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. But you never know. I mean, that's what happened with Levi Wallace a couple of years ago. He didn't get a huge deal from the Pittsburgh Steelers, but it was was one the Bills couldn't match.
4: Sal Capaccio on the Western Hotline. Bobby Babbage, by the way, you did mention he was in Cleveland. He was the assistant defensive yep. backs coach 2013 and 14, and then he was the same role plus safeties coach in 2015. So he would have definitely been familiar with Poyer from them. Yep. Uh, hired as defensive coordinator. Last thing on the defense, Sal, before we let you go. The defensive line... Going into the off season, I almost want to maybe start with edge. We could do both here if we're on a time. If not, but edge wise, how mm-hmm. how likely is it to you that they bring back? Should I say either Leonard Floyd or AJ Epinesa? Bringing both back seems like you know they that's a ton of money. Maybe to think that they could pull off. Um, how different do you expect them to look at at the edge position next year?
8: I think it'd be hard to bring either one of them back. I feel they're all, they're both in different circumstances and situations though. I think the season that Floyd had backed up what he's done the last few years. He's probably looking at another one year deal somewhere. Maybe that's in Buffalo. I don't know if they have that kind of money because you know, they just paid him pretty good money for one year. Does he wait it out again and then see what's available? It worked out for him to get a nice gig and some decent money. Maybe that happens, but I just don't know how you find the money for that necessarily. And you know, I think AJ Epinesa is an ascending player and not that he's this, you know, high end we know he's not like the high end sack guy or anything like that, but he does some nice things. He could be a real good part of a rotation. All it takes is one team. All it takes is one team to say, Hey, that guy really fits what we do. Um, you know, we can give him a nice contract, bills can't match because of their salary cap situation. So I think it's gonna be challenging to to keep either one of them to be quite honest. <clears throat> yep. Excuse me. Hold on, Joe, one second.
4: Nope, you're good. Epinesa, by the way, if you look at um, there you go. sorry about that. No, you're good. Epinesa's spot track market value, if you're looking at what he could yeah. fetch in free agency, because you're right, like sack numbers aren't totally there, but they're they they were not bad. Uh right just under six million bucks per year. Which even that, right. like, it's not a huge contract, but that's that's, tough. that's 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 a tough deal, I think, to pull off.
8: It is. And again, yeah, I don't think you're getting both of them back, but even to me, getting one or the other Either one of them is going to be tough. You may be looking at, you know, one year deals here again around the board for a lot of these defensive linemen. Shaq Lawson's a free agent, but Shaq Lawson keeps coming back in a one year deal. You can get Shaq Lawson back in a minimum deal. Nobody's nobody's Hmm. paying him really anything other than that. That's Hmm. been the case the last few years with Shaq Lawson. He's been in the league for eight years now. So, you know, I don't think that's an issue. I look at D tackle, same thing. Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle, Joseph Ford. Jones is the one. Jones might get. A little bit more money, but if you look at Phillips, Settle, Joseph, Ford, you could probably get one-year deals on those guys. And if you don't, Joe, I <clears throat> you know you're getting you're getting the same kind of guy in on a one-year deal.
4: Yep, Sal Capaccio on the Western Hotline. All right, thanks, Sal, and uh, stay tuned for the Extra Point Show. Know me in the Extra Point Show today, but I'll be back with Sal tomorrow when uh, Jeremy's back. So thanks, Sal.
8: All right, all right, talk to you then. Thanks.
4: All right, we will take a timeout here. If you're on hold, stay there. We will get you in. We also have Derek Tate coming up in the next segment from uh, Pro Football Network. Fantasy writer for Pro Football Network, but he dove in. We're going to talk less fantasy with him, with Derek, more on these draft receivers, the senior bowl which is happening this week. He just went through Dovin and all these guys to do his dynasty um, rankings for the upcoming draft season, but a lot on the upcoming receiver class and the draft in general with Derek Tate. Coming up next, stay tuned. Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy off today. This is WGR. Huge play for the (laughs) Murphy Throws a deep ball into the end zone. He's got Mitchell. And it's
3: caught. Adonai Mitchell with a Texas touchdown.
4: I'm always trying to guess. Josh has got like a stable and arsenal of receiver highlights back there. That I'm always trying to guess like which one that was. Missed it. I forgot there was another Texas guy. It was going Xavier Worthy
3: on that one. I'm more into Adonai Mitchell. Adonai Mitchell. Xavier Worthy. I I like them both. If... The
4: Bills could get them both. That'd be pretty cool. Big guy. But, oh, yeah. Big. Big guy. Receiver obsessive. We're 85 days until the train comes to station here. The wide receiver train. Jody Biassi, Jeremy White is off today. Let's go out to the West her Hotline for more on the receivers. It's Senior Bowl week. We're excited as we try to turn the page from a uh, deflating and depressing end of the season for the Bills to hopefully a hopeful offseason. Derek Tate. Pro Football Network, now on the Wester Hotline. Derek, thanks for jumping on. First time talking. Glad to have you.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm always excited to talk a little bit of football, but this incoming group of rookie wide receivers (laughs) could be special. Something to rival the 2014 class. Thanks for having me on.
4: Perfect, uh, because the Bills, well, We think they need it. Before we get into the individual players, the Senior Bowl guys this week, um, Derek, of course, writes for Fantasy and has his Dynasty rankings up, by the way, at ProFootballNetwork.com. The Bills in particular, how their season ended, and whether you feel like we're on the right track for a response to the end of the season, that is, you just don't have a downfield passing game, you don't have... A good outside option, if especially if Stephon Diggs takes a step back, and they need to, they they need to replace the Gabe Davis role, especially considering he's probably going to leave uh, in free agency.
1: Yeah, you're you're thinking about Gabe Davis, sure. It, the The volatility just has been it wasn't no season more so where it was on full display. Five five games, I think, mm-hmm. without logging a single receiving yard that's insanity so and and in this draft class there are a ton of kind of profiled out receivers that are either x or outside receivers that can get vertical and kind of take advantage of what josh allen does at an elite level which is push the football down the football field which we've seen like with even justin herbert Some of the other signal callers just not having the right ingredients on the team to kind of maximize your young – superstar quarterbacks potential i definitely see the bills adding a wide receiver if they don't bring back gabe davis and we'll certainly see how that situation plays out with stevon diggs who had a rough end of the season
4: so let's talk about the guys that could be on the board for them late in the first round i think we can for our purposes we can skip over um at least marvin harrison jr i think for now it would be the most stunning thing of all time if the bills were able to get their hands on him um, is there a name that comes to mind knowing the type of skill set they need, too, which is probably downfield and speed for like a late first-round guy that you've been ranking uh, in your fantasy ranks here?
1: Yeah, Sons of Troy. Troy Franklin from Oregon. This guy has – he checks a lot of the boxes that you're looking for for a, an outside vertical threat. The, the real encouraging thing, though, there's a lot of suddenness for a guy that – Has his type of frame and he got better and better every single season that he was in college and that collegiate production although it doesn't always translate to the NFL but when you you kind of add that context I I think the reason why Bo Nix is even in the conversation for potentially sneaking into the end of the first round is because he had a dynamic playmaker on the outside like Troy Franklin to kind of help his development uh the vertical speed is there kind of surprising foot quickness for a guy that's his size i i like him as a route runner too there's some things physicality wise that i do worry about translating to the next level I, i think his play strength is more adequate than it is a strength for him but there's a lot more to like about what this guy brings to your offense, in particular, explosively vertically down the football field. Uh, I really like Troy Franklin coming I'm,
4: out of Oregon. I'm glad you mentioned like the play strength part of that too, because this is the guy. I mean, it's very early, so you know, in a couple of months, I might have a completely different guy. I want to see the Bills pick, but Franklin is the guy I've identified early here because you see the speed, you see the separation ability, and you see how big he is. at six foot three. Like, I've been trying to figure out, like, why isn't he thought of higher? Like, why would the Bills even have a chance of getting their hands on him? But I think you kind of said it there. Maybe that while he's 6'3", like, he's not – I'm not expecting him to go make Julio Jones catches in contested situations, maybe.
1: Sure. Now yeah, that's not what I would be trying to – I think if you can get that from him, that's a plus. Mm-hmm. But what you want is you want a guy that can, vertic- that can win on the outside, one-on-one matchups – and certainly open up things and, and and force defenses into those two high shells uh, to open up the running game. And that is something that Troy Franklin, the day that he comes into the NFL, he, he's instantly a vertical threat when he steps on the football field. Another one of the things, yeah, he, I think he's going to test very well in the 40. But one mm-hmm. thing that I do like to look at with these prospects in today's kind of analytical space is their actual top speed that they clocked out at and Franklin, mm-hmm. you know, was constantly hitting, you know, whether it's 21 or 22 miles per hour, the man can absolutely fly with the football in his hands as a ball carrier. And it can give you a lot more as a yards after the catch kind of creator than you would think for a guy that, uh, is his size and, and has the vertical success that we saw during his days at Oregon.
4: Derek Tate, uh, at Derek Tate NFL on Twitter, and you can follow uh, or check out his stuff dot profootballnetwork.com. So, looking at the Senior Bowl this week, I know you wrote about Xavier Legette last week, or Leggett, I got the French Canadian hockey brain <laughs> in my mind right now, but um, him, is he the headliner you think of this position group for this week uh, in Mobile? Yeah, I do,
1: because I want to see – you know, he had an interesting career. He really didn't break out until it was his final season at South Carolina. And Spencer Rattler, whatever your thoughts are on him, kind of actually saved his draft value, if if there was any, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. after his disappointing time at at Oklahoma. But Leggett, he kind of reminds me a little bit, like, profile-wise of Josh Gordon, but if you strapped a rocket to his back – I mean, he's, he's 223, 227 he was listed at in college uh, on South Carolina's website, but he also listed at 6'3", when he's actually one. so you don't know how much you can trust those states uh, as, as far as the, uh, the, the size and weight listings on the actual athletic websites. But when you turn on the tape, there is certainly so much... Mm-hmm. Ceiling that you can see but there's a lot of like nuanced details when it comes to his route running and his ability to beat press coverage outside of just trying to out athlete anybody that's in front of him that when you're at the senior bowl you can kind of get a better idea of how he's going to match up against consistent nfl caliber talent and can he create separation consistently in those situations so yeah I, he's the guy that i'm i'm keeping a very close eye on and want to see you know, mm-hmm. good, bad, or indifferent to kind of get a, a a better gauge of where he'll fall in my ranks.
4: The cl- the class in general is it. I, I saw you guys did um, your rookie mock draft uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I actually had a dynasty lottery yesterday where I ended up with the fifth and the eighth pick. And I'm looking at, I was looking at your guys' mock, I was looking at some other rankings, and thinking, wow, of all the years I've played dynasty, this is like the first year. Where it's not just running back, running back, wide receiver, running back, like right at the top of the draft, it's all receivers. Like, is that? I guess does that say more about the running back draft class coming up, or can it be, you know, a, a sign that this receiver class is truly going to be special?
1: I think it is a little bit of both, and I know it sounds like a cop out of an answer. Uh, if, if I were to say, if I was to lean a certain direction, I think this receiver class is just special. Uh, I mean, we're talking about at the top you got three guys who I feel really confident are going to come in and be instant contributors with the likes of Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, and Roma Dunze. But then you start looking at your Xavier Worthy's, Adonai Mitchell, Brian Thomas Jr., you already mentioned Xavier Leggett, Troy Franklin. Uh, I, I love Lad McConkie. Out of mm. Georgia. Uh, you know, Dantez Walker from North Carolina. Um, th- there's just, and, and you know, even that's Jalen Polk. I mean, it, it, the fact that I'm able to rattle off a bunch of guys that in last year's class, I believe these, you know, uh, any of those guys I just named, they would have been closer to like a, a, a top four or top five prospect, grade out wise on my board. And we're going about 8-9. I didn't even mention Keon Coleman from Florida State. Right, Like, right. It, 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 these guys, <laughs> this is a truly loaded and deep class with a lot of top-end tier talent at the very top. And then you start getting, you know, around 10 to 15 Fifteen deep, uh, I, I truly think that it has a lot to say about the about this wide receiver class. And oh, by the way, keep an eye on Malik Washington out of Virginia. I actually okay. love this kid, and I'm very very excited to see how it, he's another guy to keep an eye on during the Senior Bowl.
4: Malik Washington, what uh, quickly, what did you get? What did you like about Lad McConkey? I think I saw he was one of those standouts in day one of the Senior Bowl.
1: Dude, this man could just play. When I was watching his tape, there's just not very much that I dislike. Sure, maybe he doesn't have the top speed, you know, juice to to threaten you vertically all the time. And the the catch radius maybe isn't as, you know, exciting as a lot of the other top-tier prospects. But his ability to to start-stop, exceptional, short-area quickness, uh, able to string together multiple moves, whether it's, at the line of scrimmage on the release package uh, at the top of the stem of his route or as a ball carrier and, and can change direction on the on the drop of a dime there's a lot of formation versatility you can get him the ball in, in the screen game and, and in like manufacture touches uh kind of a sa- can be a satellite player for you man there is just so much to like about lad mcconkey uh, that i feel like his game is going to translate well to the nfl so uh, he's somebody that maybe doesn't have a lot of the elite measurables of some of these other exciting prospects in this class, but the tape speaks to how much. Like, I really like this lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, pun intended, I guess.
4: Before uh, Derek Tate, Pro Football Network Fantasy, they just dropped a couple days ago their tight end rankings uh, for the year quarterback two. But before we let you go. Dalton Kincaid, how you thought year one went, and how highly you would rank him uh, for tight ends in fantasy going into year two? Basically, what you would expect from him, I guess, in year two.
1: I so speaking of situations and players that I expect their roles to expand. I, I, Dalton Kincaid's the number two tight end on my board for Dynasty, right behind Sam board, and a lot of people think that that's aggressive. I'm going, I'm bypassing, you know, Mark Andrews, C.J. Hawkinson, Trey McBride. I saw the flashes and everything that I needed to see from Dalton Kincaid. In fact, there were some frustrating things that why are you getting him off the football field when Dawson Knox is available? I personally think Dalton Kincaid gives you so much more in the passing game and in a season where they may have to rely on a young receiver like Troy Franklin. Um, and we don't know the situation with Stephon Diggs moving into 2024. Gabe uh, Davis may not be back I see the role expanding for, for Dalton Kincaid. I I thought we saw all the flashes that we needed to see and had a great rookie tight end season in his own right, uh, in particular and what was kind of a crowded situation there in Buffalo. Uh, and they kind of shifted their team philosophy, which kind of capped his fantasy ceiling a little bit at the very end of the season. But I, I still saw enough to be a firm believer that he's going to be a top five guy in my tight end rankings heading into
4: 2024 at Derek Tate NFL on Twitter, Derek, thanks again, man. And uh, hope we'll uh, catch up again some point here during the off season.
7: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. See you later guys.
4: Thanks man. Derek Tate of pro football network. And I'm getting some tweets on Troy Franklin that I want to touch on when we get back, I might need to stop talking about him because as you heard there, like the prospect is so good. I don't know. Also, a question they're asking a Get Up right now that's driving me crazy about the Bills. Both of those things coming up. We'll get to some Sabres in the 9 o'clock hour. Jeremy and Joe. Jeremy off today. Back tomorrow. This is WGR. Instant Trivia for Josh. Instant Trivia brought to you by the Farmer's Dog. Fresh human-grade dog food delivered right to your door. Of the 32 teams right now in the NFL... There is one quarterback, and only one quarterback, who has the last playoff win for two teams. Who is said quarterback? The last third, there's a list out there. The 32 quarterbacks, the 32 teams, who has the last playoff win for each team? There's one quarterback who appears on that list twice. Who is it?
3: I was very confident when you first said it, and now I'm, like, retracing my steps a little bit. I think it's Baker Mayfield, though. Correct.
4: Wow. I thought it would take more effort for All you right. to get to Baker Mayfield. As
3: soon as you said, like, last, I was like, okay, the Browns haven't won in a while. Yeah. And that was probably Baker, and then immediately went to the box. But then I was thinking, like, okay, but, but yeah, no. Because, like, Baker. Brady was there, and, like... it.
4: Well, Brady, I think, would be a lot of people's guess. Yeah. But... That's why I thought you might get it wrong originally and then get to it quickly because you would guess Brady and think, well, Tampa and New England. But wait, oh, not Tampa because Baker just won. Oh, Baker. That's it. Yeah. That's basically what I
3: did in my head. Like,
4: (laughs) yeah. The Jets, by the way, have not won since Mark Sanchez. The. Did you see him the 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 other day? Mark Sanchez Sanchez. has, like, a mullet now.
3: Not a mullet, but just, like, long hair. Like,. Really? Down to his shoulders. Yeah. He was on um Colin Coward's show the other day and I, I looked at the T V and it didn't even look like Mark Sanchez.
4: Yeah, it's down to like that's it's some long hair that uh that he's got there. Mark Sanchez. All right. Sabres stuff when we come back. Jason Moser will come up at nine thirty. Puckluck dot com. Trade idea for the Sabres that he's got and I got that I think makes way too much sense for them to not at least try. To pull off. We'll revisit our Brandon Bean conversation from earlier as well. How much blame? McDermott gets a lot of blame. Allen gets some for those plays at the end of the Chief game. How much does Brandon Bean deserve? Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. We'll get to that. Get some hockey. And uh, we'll keep rolling here on a Wednesday. Jody Biasi, Jeremy White off today. Back after this
8: on WGR.
0: The same way I felt about
9: Josh Allen when he lost, you gotta feel the same way about Lamar Jackson. And this tells me too, Patrick Mahomes ain't got no rival. He don't. He does not have one. It's Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. And if you're bringing anybody into the conversation, it's only Joe Burrow because right now he's the only person in the
0: AFC that
9: has
4: shown that he can slow his heartbeat down and compete against the great. That's Ryan Clark of ESPN. It you know, it's kind of an easy take to have. Oh, the only guy that can top Patrick Mahomes is the guy that we've seen do it. Really really going out on a limb there, Ryan. On uh, we've only I can only predict what I've seen happen before. I mean, Burrow did it, nobody else has done it. It's fair. Although Allen did it. That often will get forgotten because the Bills lost, and it will be forgotten for for all of time. Allen beat the Chiefs. The Bills didn't beat the Chiefs, but Josh Allen walked off that field in Arrowhead with 13 seconds to go with the lead. Allen beat the Chiefs. So we know he can do it, and if it, we're just talking quarterback, then you have to throw him in. If you want to talk organizations, you want to talk team, you can't say the Bills can. You could say the Bengals can and the Bills can't. And remember, the Bengal game, so much of what worked in that game where they beat the Chiefs in the playoffs was their defense shut out Patrick Mahomes in the second half. Lou Anarumo and his game plan completely worked and neutralized a good Chiefs offense that still had Tyreek Hill on it, by the way. But if you're going to make it about the quarterbacks, well, then Allen's capable. We know Allen is capable. We have seen him do it. And that's where the blame game comes in. Okay, well, if we know Allen is good enough to do it. Why haven't they done it? And 13 seconds forever will be coaching. It'll be game management. It'll be, why were you 20 yards off on Tyreek Hill? Why did you let Kelsey have the middle of the field so they could get into field goal range? Why didn't you squib kick it? There's so many why, why, whys. Because it's unbelievable. Has anyone thought a lot about that game in the last week and a half by the way I mean I I haven't really but we've said that that the longer they go without winning that game is going to be more and more talked about more and more remembered more and more you know blamed for why they haven't won yet It's erased if they, of course, win the Super Bowl. If they beat the Chiefs and go to the Super Bowl, I think it's also largely erased. Another reason it might have been diminished, of course, is when they lost to the Bengals last year. Because now the assumption that they would have beat the Bengals at home. I mean, this is now two home playoff games they've lost in a row. I don't know. Would they have beaten the Bengals? The Bengals beat the Chiefs? on the road. They could have beaten the Bills in that AFC Championship game. 2020 is really the year you should look at for the closest they've been. They were the Browns The Browns were 5 points away against a Chad Henney Chiefs team from coming to Buffalo for the AFC Championship game in 2020. And that's that's the game you want to look at. That would have made that would have meant what? That would have been a Bills Bucks Super Bowl. And why the Chiefs lose that Super Bowl? Because they not have any healthy linemen. Maybe the Bills win that game. They would have won the COVID Super Bowl. Would that have made us happy, though? Yes. Yeah, the answer is yes, right? It just would have been, like, ridiculous. The one title they win is the one where there were 20,000 people there and nobody could go because it was COVID and just all that. I mean, that wouldn't have been the fun part. Revisiting our Brandon Bean poll from earlier. How much blame does the GM deserve? And... Most voters are split between the same amount as McDermott or less than McDermott. Very few, only 8% say more than McDermott, and only a few more say that he doesn't deserve any blame at all. Two-way street, maybe a little bit less than Sean, but I, I went through this earlier. I think he deserves blame in certain pockets. And not in others. They are in a very precarious situation with the cap. And, hey, that's the consequence of... I'm not even saying it's a bad move. But that's the consequence of going all out for a $100 million 33-year-old defensive end. It's not all of it. They repaid Diggs. They signed Milano, which is great. I'm glad they did that too. But just, you know, eventually you have to pay for these guys. And now is the time that they're going to have to pay for these guys and really work to get under the cap and really work to make any sort of important acquisition during the offseason at all that's not the draft. The good news is the draft history looks a lot better today than it did a year ago because of the development, especially, I mean, really it's three guys for this. It's Terrell Bernard, it's Spencer Brown, and it's Khalil Shakir. Osiris and, Torrance? Oh, no, no, you're right, too. Osiris Torrance, James Cook. Yeah, those guys are added in as well. That's like five names that you can rattle off. Kincaid even, too, because Kincaid, I mean, it's a weird fit still that they did that, but he's good. We just had Derek Tate on from Pro Football Network, who just came out with his Dynasty Fantasy Football rankings, and so long-term rankings, He's got Dalton Kincaid number two in the league. Number two. Only behind Sam Laporta. Uh, You know, coincidentally, was picked right after Dalton Kincaid in the draft. But, so far, Kincaid looks great. Torrance looks like a win as a pick. Cook looks like a win as a pick. If he's at least productive. I know second-round running back, we can have that debate. But, Shakir now is producing as a fifth-rounder, and... You've got Spencer Brown locked in as like a reliable right tackle, it looks like, for at least the time being. Bernard is a stud at middle linebacker. The good news is that while there might be some misses in free agency, the Bills' draft history does suddenly look a lot better. The Bills' last year, free agency really is where, like, Bean said this in his end-of-season press conference, that every million dollars they spend, they've got to make it count. They've got to, because of their situation and how tight they are, they've got to maximize every even little veteran contract that they have. And I wonder if Bean had in his mind, while saying that, that we need to do better than we did last year. Last year, the free agent moves that they made. Let's look at them. 2023. The free agent moves that they made. Some were hits, some were misses. The cheap contracts, though, the ones Bean was talking about, a lot were misses. The big one they made in signing Leonard Floyd, big hit. Double-digit sacks was their most consistent pass rusher all year long. Big hit. Okay, but what about those cheaper guys that... Bean's talking about, where we got to maximize it. Puna Ford, one-year deal, no impact. Had a sack in the Charger game, maybe. He was inactive more often than he was active. No impact whatsoever. How about Latavius Murray on a one-year deal? All right, he was a blocker, and that was about it. He was a leader in the locker room, plus a blocker. Not much else. He was one of the least efficient goal line backs in football. He was not a good pass-catching back, so didn't love that. Shaq Lawson, one-year deal. All right, run blocker. Run, run stopper, I should say. A.J. Klein, one-year deal. That one was practice squad back and forth anyway, so I'm not going to judge him on that. How about Jordan Phillips on a one-year deal? He started a bunch of games. He was their he was their immediate backup when Daquan Jones got hurt. And a lot of the advanced numbers show that Jordan Phillips really struggled this year. Pass rush, he still got a little bit of juice, but so ineffectual in the run game. He was one of Pro Football Focus's lowest rated defensive tackles in the league this season. How about Taylor Rapp on a one-year deal? Not bad. Might have hoped for a little bit more. I was excited about that signing when they made it. He was okay. Fine. How about David Edwards? Line depth. Not going to judge it one way or the other. He ended up being like their 12 personnel tight end guy. Um, But luckily for him, or more so luckily for the Bills, they never had to test whether David Edwards would be a good signing because he never had to play. Damian Harris, one-year deal, neck injury. Don't worry about it. You, You weren't able to judge that. The two receivers. Trent Sherfield, one-year deal. Deontay Hardy, two-year deal that included guaranteed money. Those are the misses. I liked those ideas at the time. Trent Sherfield was coming off a year where he outright won a starting job with the Miami Dolphins and was fine. 500 yards, a couple of big plays. Hardy was coming off being a role player in New Orleans that was one of the most efficient receivers in the league during his time in New Orleans. So maybe some solid reasoning behind why they signed those two, but it's easy to sit here and criticize it now. I know. I'm, I'm armed with the results. At the time, they're not. But now that I'm sitting here armed with the results, what are they? Those two did jack squat all year long. Hardy never got off the ground on offense. Now, he got thrust into being the returner. And I don't think they signed him to be the returner. Naheem Hines was going to be this team's return man. Hardy was signed to play offense. He did a little bit. When he did, didn't work all that well. Did he have three good pass plays all year? Now, he didn't play a lot. But some of that was they did put him on the field early in the season. And... There were mistakes, and there weren't big plays. Remember, the was it the Jet game where he ran kind of a lazy corner route at the end? Oh, it was maybe the Bronco game where he ran a lazy corner route at the end of the half. Allen threw it to him. Probably a poor decision by Allen in the first place, but it was an easy pick in part because Hardy just kind of rounded his route. It wasn't It wasn't tight the way it should have been, and it felt like from that play on, they didn't trust him to play offense all year. Unless they had to because of injury. And then you've got Sherfield, who's got the special teams, versatility, although I don't think they used him a ton that way. And he's got the blocking ability. He's got the versatility to play inside and outside. What was I left with? Time to make a play in the playoffs. I needed You needed one play. A ball that, yeah, you had to dive back for deep down the field against Kansas City. It hit him in the bicep. Got to make that catch.
3: Dawson Knox had one like that and caught it no problem. Basically just fell into his yep. chest and
4: held on to it. How about Trent Sherfield? Trent, I mean, Hardy, look at these two. Not a lot of money, so I don't want to go too far with it. But they're going to need to do a lot better. Because when they go for the one-year veteran minimum receiver guy, veteran player because they need depth, they're going to have to do that again. They, they are going to need so much more than what those two provided. Those two on the season combined. Combined for 236 yards receiving. If I told you either one of them f- by themselves for the season was going to get 236 yards at the beginning of the year, you nobody would have taken that. You would have wanted more from both of them individually. Sherfield in particular... I mean, he played a role. He was on the field for more run blocking snaps than pass blocking snaps. But Trent Sherfield, he had 86 yards on the year, playing 392 snaps. I mean, again, I know he's a role player, but come on, guy. You're not David Edwards, you're a wide receiver. Make a play once in a while, get open. Once in a while. Get behind the defense for a broken coverage once in a while. Take take a short route for a few extra yards. Just where was anything from either one of those two guys? I wonder what yards per target would be. Or yards per route run would be for Sherfield. They just didn't get anything. And this year, I threw out Kendrick Bourne as an idea. That might cost a couple of million dollars. Um... We've mentioned Sterling Shepard of the Giants, although he was on a podcast the other day and hinted that he's probably going to retire. But the Bills this offseason, they, they hope they're going to draft a guy. We're confident, right? Fingers crossed. They're going to draft a guy high to play that position. They're going to bring back Diggs. They're going to bring back Shakir. And Shorter, I'm guessing, is going to be on this team they'll give him a chance. They'll play him on special teams. He's really fast and big. Maybe he'll play as like a special team guy, gunner. And then, how many is that? That's 4. You're going to need two other wide receivers. Basically, assuming they would cut Hardy and let Sherfield walk, they're going to need to do this again. Two really cheap, maybe a one or a two-year contract, but you got to go bargain bin. You got to go you got to go into the clearance section of the wide receivers in the league. And you got to find your diamonds in the rough. Even just to do a little bit. I don't need them catching 800 yards. Just need an impact once in a while. And part of my criticism for Bean, for wide receiver in general, is not just that they've ignored it in the draft. It's that when they went bargain bin shopping last offseason, they came away with two guys that did pretty much nothing for them. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. Let's go to Mike on a cell phone. What's up, Mike?
5: Hey, I I get what you're saying about Hardy and Sherfield. My question though is: is this scheme oriented? Is this Josh oriented? Because you know, you look at Gabe Davis for example. In a ten game span, he has four games where he's a superstar, mm-hmm. more than six catches, more than eighty six yards, a touchdown in all four games. And then six games of that ten-game span, where three games he doesn't get a catch, and the other three games he gets six catches combined. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering if the the intent to try to get digs involved in the offense this year was so prevalent that that Josh became focused on digs and kind mm-hmm. of said. I'm not, you know, I don't have confidence, or or I have to get the ball to to, to Stephon um, because that's how our offense works, and he just ignored these other guys. And I, you know, I get Sherfield drop some passes at the end of the season and stuff like that, but they just rarely got thrown to, whether they weren't open, mm-hmm. which I have a hard time believing that you know guys who have been open on other teams in in other situations just can't get open. Um, you know, it's just a concern I have that, that Josh may have locked down on on Diggs way too much this year and ignored players who might have been able to help us.
4: Thanks, Mike, for the call. Um, I don't want to go with the Diggs point too far, maybe early in the year, but second half of the year they were throwing at Shakir all the time. They were throwing at Kincaid, they were throwing at James Cook for a certain stretch too. So I think Allen eventually picked his guys. And who'd he pick? I mean, maybe he did pick, he probably picked the right people. He picked Shakir, he picked Cook, he picked Kincaid, and he kept trying with Diggs, but it just didn't work. They never really picked Hardy. He's the only one I'd want to wonder about with Scheme. Sherfield, I wouldn't. Sherfield was on the field, had chances, ran routes. Last year, out of 140 qualifying wide receivers in the league, What's the qualifier? I think that they got targeted at least ten times. Let's see. Yeah, ten minimum of ten targets in the league last year. Really, it should be by route run. Um out of one hundred and forty wide receivers. Twenty targets, excuse me. So hundred and forty receivers had, a, had twenty targets or more last year. Trent Shurfield ranked in yards per route run one hundred and fortieth. Dead last. There wasn't a single receiver that played the amount he did that had fewer yards per route run. I mean, you know, he had made some plays in Miami. He made some plays in San Francisco a couple years ago. Uh, He had plenty of chances to get open on this team, and it didn't happen. Versus Deontay Hardy. Hardy, again, I didn't see a lot that made me think he deserved being on the field more. But because of his skill set. His history. Being much more dynamic. Much more explosive. Which we are going to talk about a lot. This year. The fact that he played. About a third. Of the number of snaps. That Sherfield played. I mean that just speaks to. They value the blocking right. Because. I would have been more confident that Hardy is someone that you could scheme open. That you could get into ISO situations where he beats the corner one-on-one. Sherfield, not so much. So, I'll listen to that as a question, but only really with Hardy. And I don't believe it enough to want to bring Hardy back next year. If I truly believed, hey, it was just coaching. There are other ways to get Hardy involved and make him a part of this offense. If I believed strongly enough in that, I wouldn't be so... Stop so strong in my opinion they should just cut bait, save the money they can. CJ in Buffalo's next. Hey CJ.
9: Hey Joe. Hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, um, I just want to get into the point. Like, do how far set back do you think the Bills are? Like, did they set themselves back going with rookie offensive coordinator for one? And I'm not saying Ken Dorsey was a bad pick. I'm just talking about the time and the window that the Bills are in. Do you think they set themselves back grabbing a rookie O C when they did? Um, other than getting a talented – or somebody that was already experienced and also putting weapons around Josh Allen um, to help him because I feel like we've been chasing a way to stop the Chiefs for too long, drafting Russo and Boogie Bash on back-to-back and, you know, always getting corners and, like, we're always trying to chase them defensively. Let's stop them, stop them, as opposed to loading up and giving your quarterback everything he needs uh, as opposed to getting older guys, like John Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, those type of things. I, I do think the Bills set themselves back too much. Um and offensively it kinda hurts because wide receiver, the O C and the quarterback all have to work they, they they work together. You know, your offensive coordinator can work around certain things like throwing the ball short like we did all year and it, it kinda hurt us to the point where you had to get rid of Condorsi because mm-hmm. we, we all we could do is throw short. You know, I, I do think we need that explosive play because you have an explosive quarterback that can also work beyond the scheme. You know, if a play breaks down, the defense has to account for Josh Allen as well. But mm. you make it easy for them to stop us. Same conversation you had with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, we, we, can, we can stop everybody and just work on you. You know, why don't you just use that to your benefit is what I'm saying. So how much do you think that hurt the Bills not getting an offensive coordinator? Was that a setback?
4: I I don't think C J for the call. I don't think it was a setback. I think they are in really good shape to bounce right back offensively next year. Think about it this way: they draft a receiver in the first round, and that player is really good. Let's just assume that player is really good. The hit rate's like seventy percent on first round receivers. So let's assume: hey, we assume Michael Badgley for the Lions would have hit a forty-eight yard field goal, and that was seventy percent. So I'm gonna feel safe in assuming that they would have they'll hit on a receiver pick. If they do that. I think they got everything. I don't think it has to set them back years. They've got a a very good offensive line that's together again. They've got Allen. They've got two really good tight ends. Kincaid coming into his own is going to help, I think, even more. And receiver-wise, I'll feel good about where they are, at least with the starters. Depth-wise, they'll have work to do still, but the rookie, Diggs, and Shakir with Cook in the backfield, I'm good. And I know your question was about the coordinator. I have confidence in Brady. I don't think we got to see what a Brady offense will look like. I thought we got to see what Brady's response is to fixing a Dorsey offense. You give him a whole offseason in eight months to plan what his offense is going to look like, I think it's going to look different. And he was experienced. Maybe not as much as some guy has been calling plays in the league for 20 years, but Brady had almost two full years, almost two. He got fired in December of twenty one almost 2 full years as the offensive coordinator in carolina and before that was a coordinator for the greatest college football team we've ever seen so he's young he's not the most experienced in the world ken dorsey was a first time play caller joe brady was not so they did go they did improve in terms of their uh experience so no i don't think it has to set them back i think they lost because of it to the chiefs But I don't think that has to mean it sets them back in the future. Good question, though. Time out here. We'll get to some hockey. Jason Moser from puckluck.com, buffalohockeybeat.com as well. I want to reach out to Jason. Wanted to reach out because he wrote about an idea that I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of days. The Sabres trading for a top prospect at a position that just makes too much sense for them to not try to flip something here. And give us any movement, any pulse. Jason will join us next.
8: Look out, backhand chance, oh, between the skates, score! Wow! How's that for a first ever NHL goal? An 18-year-old, Zach Benson, what a move. I think he's here to stay.
4: See if his name comes up here in this conversation. I doubt it. Jody Biase, Jeremy White off today. Sal Capaccio will have the extra point show for you coming up at 10. I'll rejoin Sal in the extra point show tomorrow. The Sabres are off this week. The league is not. There are some games in the NHL. You had Nashville playing this week. You've got Ottawa, Detroit tonight. Detroit with a win would go 11 points up on the Sabres. In fact, tonight's the last night. Tonight's the last night of games before Saturday's All-Star game. But yeah, a win by the Red Wings tonight. And we're talking 11 points. It's not even February yet. 11-point difference between the two teams. 803-0550 is the phone number. Let's go to the West Hotline, bring in Jason Moser from PuckLuck.com, BuffaloHockeyBeat.com as well. Jason, you had a trade idea that I was already thinking about, so thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time.
2: Hey, Yeah, thanks for having me.
4: So let's get into, before we get to some trade stuff, just how surprised are you and how surprised should we be that this season has kind of gone to this point where, like I just said, if Detroit wins tonight – we're talking about 11 points between the Sabres and the playoffs going into February.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not encouraging, right? Um, based on what everyone was kind of expecting, Buffalo was that next team to uh, take the step into the playoffs. Um, so, unfortunately, it, it, it hasn't turned out that way for Sabres fans, and uh, it, they're kind of in no-man's land right now, which is uh, very daunting.
4: Jason on the Wester hotline. Again, you can follow him on Twitter, at PuckLuckJ. In terms of the trade idea that I wanted to get to with you, David Juracek from Columbus. So it sounds like he's unhappy, and that'll naturally lead anybody to talking about trades and potential moves that could be made. Do you think this is an idea that other teams, media are talking about, is worthy of being talked about for the Sabres specifically?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's actually a great fit for the Savers, uh, just based on uh, the, the average age of the team, um, where the core kind of is, and uh, basically how they're set up on defense. Uh, they have a lot of left-handed shot defensemen under contract, but mm-hmm. uh, as far as next season, there's only one player in the NHL uh, that's a right-handed shot defenseman. Uh, that's Connor Clifton that they have under contract. Um, Henry Yokiharu is a restricted free agent. Yep. And uh, Eric Johnson's unrestricted and probably being shipped by the deadline uh this season. So um and in the organization they don't really don't have anyone set to come up. It's it's only uh Sevi Komarov uh, and he's playing mm-hmm. in the queue right now. Um so he's the only other right handed shot defenseman under contract in the organization this year.
4: Right. I wonder too, like that's uh, I was trying to figure out like how important that really is. I feel like this though is at a point where Right, like, if you were to rank the defensemen in the organization by their importance long-term, like, you're going Darlene, Power, Ryan Johnson, and Samuelson are probably your top four, and they're all left-handed defensemen. So, like, how much do you choose to care about that? I feel like it's at a point, though, where even if you don't a lot, like, all right, it's getting a little ridiculous where you can't have all six be left-hand shots, Right.
2: Yeah, it, it, I don't personally consider it end all be all. Obviously, Dalene's shown the ability to play both sides. Yep. Um, you know, Sanderson will rotate onto that right side with him when they're on the same pair. Um, Ryan Johnson's done it this year with Owen Power. I mean, Owen Power can play both sides too. He's he's all over the ice. Um, so it, it's not end all be all, but obviously it's it's preferred to have you know some right-handed shot mixes in there, especially even just for like different angles and for shooting in the offensive zone or just give different looks. I mean, if you're defending all left-handed shots, you kind of know where, you know, the shots are going to be coming from. Uh, so it's just a little easier to defend. So um, it just provides some versatility.
4: Yep. When it comes to Juracek and his game, is it – what What are we looking at? Like, he's big, but I also feel like I read enough about him that he's not like just some stay-at-home, you know, uh, traffic cone that's just trying to hit everybody.
2: Yeah, no. So he he went sixth overall in the 2022 NHL Draft, which shows he's got a lot more to his game than than just a stay-at-home defenseman. He's got a lot of offensive upside. Uh, so far in the NHL this year, really the one key attribute, uh, which I kind of isolate through uh individual player attributes, it's his playmaking that's mm-hmm. that's made the difference for Columbus. And even just watching him, uh, tune into a good handful of Columbus games this year, and and he's the one making the plays. He's carrying the puck in the zone, finding the open man for the shot. So uh, he, those primary shot assists are are kind of his mm-hmm. game right now, and uh, that's encouraging for such a young defenseman uh, to yeah. have that confidence.
4: Yeah. In you, do you think he's in the right to be upset that he's not in the NHL? I mean, there, there's two ways of looking at it. I, I will usually lean towards the latter, which is – That The former would be, what, like, you're 20 years old, you know, like, you know, there's some fans out there that would just not, any guy that's willing to make a problem like this, like, nope, don't want him, don't care, versus, like, I feel like he's, isn't he right that, like, he should be in the NHL? This Columbus team is not good.
2: Yeah, so in my article at buffalohockeynow.com about the idea of trading for David Urchak, uh, it really the the idea comes from Aaron Portsline's Sunday gathering in the Athletic where he quoted Yurchek mm-hmm. uh, basically naming his peers that were drafted in the same draft class, mm-hmm. um specifically Simon Nemich and Kevin Korczynski. And Nemich went second overall, Korczynski went to pick after check, and they're both mainstays in the NHL right now. Um for different reasons. I mean Nemich is getting his shot because Dougie Hamilton went down, so it's kind of a necessity. Uh, mm-hmm. but does he have you know, is is he right? Well when his peers are getting the shot, yeah, um, it seems like he should really get that chance, too. It's not like Columbus is a barn burner this year. Um, they could definitely play him, but it's really your play uh, that should dictate whether you should be in the NHL or not. And honestly, he's been their worst graded defenseman uh, when you do the isolated metrics. Um, when you look at Evolving Hockey's war metrics, he's, he's ninth out of the nine defensemen that have played for Columbus this year. Um so yeah, maybe you'd like to stick with him and see what you have at this point, but he is only twenty years old. Yep. Um so whether his play dictates it or not, um it really he's still got a really bright future.
4: Okay. And last thing for you, uh, Jason Moser from uh Puck Luck and also BuffaloHockeyNow.com, Now dot com at Puckluck J and Twitter. The cost is it as simple as Hey Columbus, you've got a right shot defenseman prospect that might be unhappy. We've got a billion forward prospects. We just do a one for one. Is it that simple?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's as far as the basis of the trade. Yeah, obviously there could be little, you know, there could be draft picks or other little uh, assets thrown in here and there. But um, when you're looking at anything that's been like this uh, before, any any defenseman top uh, top defenseman that have been traded before. It's really like this year, it's, uh, Jamie Drysdale went, uh, for Cutter Gauthier, uh, kind of a unique situation because Gauthier was kind of forcing his way out of Philadelphia, but, uh, Gauthier was a fifth overall pick. So you're, you're thinking top forward prospects for a defenseman is, is, is kind of what you're looking at. Yeah. And obviously the Sabres have those guys, right? No, they, they have yeah. four, uh, forwards that were taken in the first round over the last, you know, uh, yeah, three seasons, um, Aside from Zach Benson, who's in the show right now, so
4: yeah, I was gonna say like maybe maybe Benson would be the one they would try the hardest to not be included in a deal like this. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I want to say he's untouchable, but I feel like you'd want you would. That's not a deal you'd want to do one for one, right?
2: Not necessarily, but um, real quickly, like if I just run down the list of the last five years of defensemen that have been taken in the top 10, yeah. I mean, you're going to hear some names that are just unbelievable. You hear oh, like Owen Power, Luke Hughes, Brent Clark, Jake Sanderson, Jamie Drysdale, Bowen Byram, Morris Sider, mm-hmm. Philip Roberg, Rasmus Dallin, Quinn Hughes, Adam Boquist, Evan Bouchard, Miro Heiskinen, and Cal McCarr. Yeah. I mean, these are the majority of those guys are studs in the NHL. So as far as checks prospects, it's hard to be like, well, you know, maybe we hold on to this forward and I don't quite want to give up this guy. Maybe we give up a worse prospect or the one we don't prefer when mm. the names just they, they pan out to be that level of defenseman. Um, yeah. Really, it's it just makes too much sense to swap one for the for J- your check.
4: Jason Moser, Puck Luck J on Twitter and check out a stuff Buffalo Hockey now. Thanks again, Jason, for uh, jumping on. I, I hope they do this deal. So if they do, maybe we'll talk again.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Joe.
4: All right, we are in the middle of a, an off week. Next Tuesday against Dallas will be the Sabers' next game. And this kid in Columbus, I just don't see how you don't even try. The Sabres don't have a top-level prospect at the position he plays. They have a bunch of forward prospects. you got to have Columbus to be interested in that. But Matthew Savoy was taking three picks after this kid. I'd do it. He's big. 6'4", 210 as a 20-year-old. So even if he puts on a few more pounds of muscle in the next couple of years, we could be talking about a force physically and just watching a little bit of his stuff. like There's a big shot. There's good hands. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but I like the idea a lot. His brother's coming up in the draft, too. Okay. And he's best friends with Yuri Kulik, I I believe? Yeah, probably. I think I I heard that.
3: I think his brother's name's Adam Juracek. Okay. I'm
4: not sure if he's a defenseman, though. All right, get him out of Columbus. Come on, I mean it's not quite the 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 win now type move, but listen, they're 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 nine points out, right? Like, what are they going to do? They're they're really going to make a heroic run to make the playoffs? I mean, just how could anybody believe that right now? This this deadline is going to be about the future. I mean, you get a young, hungry defenseman, though, like. If he wants to play in the NHL and you give him a chance, oh yeah, he who could, knows if he just pops off. I, he could help them. I think right now he might be their best right-shot defenseman. I mean, Jason just pointed some numbers that maybe I should slow my roll on that. But he wouldn't make a better impact for them right now than Eric Johnson would. Really? So we'll see what happens. Better to forget it coming up in Extendo Sports on the Sabres and some NFL offseason stuff, including Belichick. Maybe there's a way back for Belichick to find a coaching job here. That's coming up as we wrap things up here on Jeremy and Joe. This is WGR.
6: Breaking sports news airs first here. Guaranteed. WGR Sports Radio 550. 2020 Sports.
4: Extendo Sports. All right, that's a part of Extendo Sports today. Bet it or forget it. Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook and the official sportsbook of WGR. Josh, I got one for you. Will the Sabres make this trade for David Juracek? Will they try, I should say? Because make the trade is obviously a very low percentage. Will they try to make this trade for the Blue Jackets' top defensive prospect who is unhappy in Columbus?
3: I say, yeah, they try. I don't know if they make it because I feel like maybe some other teams are going to step in with a better somehow have a better package.
4: The thing is, they can outbid if, if they really want to. They can outbid anybody, right? Right.
3: Yeah. For they sure. That's, that's what I mean. Like, I feel like they're going to try, but somehow some teams going to step in and just make some crazy yeah.
4: package. Well, right. Like, you're how confident? Part of this question is how confident are you, Kevin Adams, can deliver that final punch? That is going to get the deal over the finish line because, you know, we just haven't seen it happen.
3: I mean, I hope they do. I, so. I, I really think he'd be a great addition, but I think they'll at least try. They'll, they'll kick tires, as they say.
4: Bet it or forget it. Bill Belichick will get the Washington job. Ooh, they're gonna do. They're gonna circle back around to somebody, right? Yeah, but I who, mean,
3: who else? So they interviewed Slowick and Johnson, and both of them are staying put.
4: That's what I mean. So, like, they're nowhere right now. Well, but were it, those
3: the only two they did? or did, I, was No, there... I think,
4: uh, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it is out there that they, they were looking at somebody else. But I thought it was just those two. Hmm. So, now anybody's in play. Anybody. I'm going
3: to cautiously say bet it. I, I, I don't know uh, for sure, but I, f- I feel like, I mean, it, it's... I like it, too. It's a new owner, and you're going in a different direction. But at the same time, maybe you can get that mystique of Bill Belichick in your organization,
4: Jerry Jones did say today that uh, he could see himself working with Bill Belichick. No, oh boy. Poor Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy is going to lose one game. He's going to lose week one, 0 1. And the next day on first take, it's going to be should the Cowboys fire Mike McCarthy for Bill Belichick? And then if Stephen Belich- A debate.
3: If Belichick gets hired, it's going to be should the Cowboys trade for Bill Belichick?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we'll see. Belichick and Washington. I want to bet it. I want to bet it. I think they're nowhere right now, and I think that owner is going to want to make a splash, and there, there's your splash, Bill Belichick. All right, that's it for us today. We will pass things off to Sal for the Extra Point Show. Jeremy will be back in tomorrow morning. More Senior Bowl stuff to get to, and plenty more. All right, cheers tomorrow. See you then.